Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. This is the big 2016 playoff preview. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We are twin brothers from Champaign, Illinois. And this is our playoff preview, like we mentioned. Uh, For the next two hours, we will take you to each of the 10 teams playing in the 2016 playoffs. A lot of people along for the ride. 10 different guests. Mm-hmm. that we locked down over the weekend. Um, so we hope you enjoy it. Before we begin, actually, I just want to thank Nelly for our intro song. We use uh, Batter Up each week of the Foot in the Box podcast. So thanks to him. Uh, no fun fact on this episode, but when we release our next episode in a couple of days, we'll we'll have one for you. So yeah, welcome if this is your first time listening to our podcast. We hope you stick around. We love baseball and uh, hope you enjoy uh, this episode. A couple uh, just nuggets for you uh, before you hear all of the the different teams, writers, and experts. Um, We have a playoff fantasy game for you. So if if you're interested in that at all, you can win $50. Just go to afootinthebox.com, and we'll have details over there. Um, Hopefully Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, And then also, Paul and I will have our own playoff preview on Tuesday, the first day of the playoffs. We're going to release that on Tuesday morning. So just go ahead and subscribe to our podcast now, and then you get this episode, and then you get the next one, and all the other ones. So I think that does it. Paul, you got anything to add before we begin? Nope, just a heartfelt uh, bit of gratitude to extend to all our guests that joined. Definitely. We really appreciate people hopping on, some on uh, relatively short notice. So uh, thanks for joining, and uh, we hope to remain uh, lifelong podcast friends. Most definitely, yeah. Thanks to all the baseball writers uh, that that um, we interacted with. They were all great. And uh, you should listen to all of them, but I would not blame you if you hopped around to different teams that you were interested in. Uh, to give you a rundown of the order of things, we're going to talk to uh, guests in the following order. Blue Jays, Orioles, Rangers, Giants, Red Sox, Nationals, Dodgers, Indians, Cubs, and Mets. So that's the order, the different times of where those guests start. Uh, will be on our website. So that's the order. Hope you enjoy it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at a foot in the box. We would love to interact with you over there um, throughout the playoffs. But without further ado, let's kick it off. The 10 Guest Mega Podcast. Well, our first guest on the podcast uh, on this playoff preview is Tom Dakers. Uh, he covers the Blue Jays. He writes for uh, bluebirdbanter.com. Tom, welcome to... Uh, the Foot in the Box podcast. Thank you. Uh, you can follow Tom at Bluebird Banter on Twitter. Um, so, Tom, uh, the Blue Jays are an interesting team because they came off uh, such a phenomenal season last year. Um, so much hype around uh, around the Blue Jays. Um, what's the 2016 season been like for uh, Blue Jays fans and the team? It's uh, it's been a roller coaster. It's been alternately very very fun and terribly depressing it depends on the moment yeah amazingly we thought we had an offense that you know was going to be very good like last year and it hasn't appeared we i kind of expected our pitching staff not to be great but our starting pitching's been terrific but we go for weeks without being able to hit which just blows me away because I thought we'd, you know, we led the league in scoring last year. I thought we'd do the same this year. Yeah. So what, um, what hitters have really disappointed this season? Oh, Oh, 
Oh, damn. Any. Um, <laughs> no, Ed, Edwin Encarnacion's been good, and Josh Donaldson's been good most of the time. Um, Jose Batista's had a rough year. Uh, he's had some injuries, but he's not hitting much. And, yep, just about everybody else down the list has had, had kind of a rough year, really. Yeah, but, I mean, like you mentioned, the, the pitching staff has really carried them um, with the Jay Happ and Aaron Sanchez, um, Marco Estrada, uh, Stroman has been pretty decent. Uh, was that like a shock to you and Blue Jays fans? Yeah, I was expecting kind of an average starting staff. I thought that, you know, as long as everything went well, we'd be pretty much average pitching and with the offense that I expected, I thought we'd be a really good team. And it's been kind of the opposite way around. The starters, every one of them have been great, really. And the, but, the, but the offense hasn't been there. And it's confusing for a Blue Jays fan because we're used to scoring a lot of runs. I, I was asking people earlier in the season how you cheer for teams that win one nothing or, you know, 2-1. <laughs> it's just not... It's not in our DNA. <laughs> That's funny. Um, because the there's a, a really good pitching staff, it should mean that they're a candidate to, to be a really good playoff team this year because you need depth. Um, you need four good starters, and the Blue Jays have four really good starters. Um, so is there kind of an optimism uh, going into the playoffs? Um, still, there is kind of... Uh worry that they're not going to get there because, you know, we haven't scored in a few days here. Um, we've got three games in Boston where they've got to win at least one of the three to have a, to get into the wild card game. Um, but, yeah, when we get there, it's hard to tell because, you know, some game days the batteries just don't show up. I think they set team records and strikeouts by you know, plenty now. and But, yeah, you know, the starting pitching can keep us in games. That's the good news. Which, uh, which uh, one of the starters would be, um, you know, if it works out with scheduling, which one would you want to start the, the one-game wild card? Um, Aaron Sanchez is likely in line to start it. He's been terrific um, at the start of the season. Last year, he was uh, he was in the bullpen, and there's a lot of people that thought he should stay in the bullpen, but uh, the team figured he could be a good starter. He really only had two pitches going into the season. He had a great curveball and great fastball. He's learned to change as the season goes on, and yeah, I'd, he's the guy I'd like to see in a wild card game. Yeah, he's got a bright future. He's only 23 uh, years old. Had a great season. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, and he looks better all the time. The one worry about him was they were going to they've wanted to keep his innings down this year because last year he was in the bullpen for most of the season, and so but uh, they had him skip a couple of starts and and he's going to come up a little bit short at 200 innings, which is quite a lot for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... Because of all the hype and the team not living quite up to expectations, uh, has the media uh, and the the fan base have they turned on John Gibbons? Um, some have. Yeah, uh, there's a portion of the fans that have never liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the media hasn't seemed to turn on him too much. It's it's hard to get on the guy because, you know, yesterday we got two hits off of uh, a pretty crappy pitcher, and it's hard to blame the manager for that. It's you know mm-hmm. it's it's not like he's the guy up there not getting the hits. Yeah, you, there's complaints about him, but. It, I don't know. He's probably, probably if we miss the playoffs, I can't imagine he'll be back next year, just the way things work in baseball. Hmm. So kind of projecting a bit, uh, say the uh, Blue Jays win the one one game wild card. They're probably going to play the Rangers setting up a a rematch um, (laughs) of the uh, contentious series last year in the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, do you uh, dislike the the Rangers? Um, I dislike particular Rangers, but no, no not <laughs> the team as a whole. No, I'm. What about their second baseman? Um, uh, I could I could do without seeing um, older there ever again. But you know, the rest of them probably are okay people. <laughs> <laughs> what What are your kind of overall thoughts on on a series against the the Rangers? Do you like your chances? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Actually, I think that would be a good matchup. I think it would be a fun series. They don't like each other, so that adds adds to the fun. Um, but I think I think that would be that would be probably my favorite choice of who they could get to play. Yeah, well, the should be a great atmosphere, uh, both in in Texas and Toronto. Actually, Toronto uh, they drew ridiculously well this year at Rogers Center. Over three million fans going to be top at least three in baseball in terms of attendance. Uh, do you think that's a kind of sustainable, uh, you know, fan base going forward or is it just all the hype from, from last year's run? Yeah, it seems it, it's become the thing to do in Toronto. So I'm hoping that I, I'm hoping the fans keep coming out. It probably depends on how the team does. I mean, everybody will support a winner and they got to sure. the playoffs for the first time in like 20 years last year. So, you know, Fans, fans like to see winners, so as long as they keep winning, I think the fans will keep coming out. Yeah, I wonder the the uh, Bautista home run and bat flip. I wonder how many season tickets that sold going into the next year. At least at least a couple thousand. I would I would assume. Yeah, I would think that was that was a great moment to me. That was just a perfect baseball moment. Because of course I'm a Jays fan. I'm sure. Yeah. If I was well, on the other side, it wouldn't have been so perfect. But I'm a I'm a Cubs fan with no rooting interest in that series and I, I was going nuts. So I, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought that it had been such an emotional ending in game up to that point that it seemed to just blow the top off of things when he hit it. All right. So the final two questions going to ask this to each, uh, each of our guests on this podcast. Uh, the first one, if the Blue Jays win the world series, if they make kind of an improbable run to win the world series, What's the main reason why? What's it because of? Starting pitching. It's, if they win, it's got to be starting pitching. I mean, the, the pitchers are going to have to carry them through. And then the follow-up question to that, the opposite, you know, if they fall short of the World Series, uh, is the main reason uh, the offense? Yeah, it, well, offense and a tired bullpen. Hmm. They're probably the two main candidates if they fall short. But, but yeah, yeah, the the main guys in the bullpen have looked a little shaky lately, and then that's that's something to worry about. 
you know, there's been a couple of blown saves lately, and and um, Jason Grilly, who's been the eighth inning guy, setup guy, has had a really rough month. So mm-hmm. uh, the the bullpen, the bullpen is the worrying thing, and of course uh, Joaquin Benoit tore a muscle in his leg the other day. He was he was another setup man for the team, so that's that's kind of a worrying point right now. Well, I'll be rooting for the Blue Jays. Uh, as a Cubs fan, I watched Darwin Barney for a few years, so I always kind of keep tabs on uh, his career. I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that he's still playing baseball, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he's been all right for us. <laughs> well, Tom, thanks uh, thanks so much for joining us, and fans, check out his work at bluebirdbanter.com. The next guest we have to talk to on the podcast is Nick Cissery. And uh, he's here to talk about the Orioles. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hey, thank you, uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Let's uh, let's talk some O's. Yeah. So for uh, our listeners, you can follow Nick on Twitter at uh, Swissery. Rhymes with Cissery, but it's Swiss like the cheese, and then E R E. That's right. <laughs> uh, so Nick, uh, before we begin, uh, if people want to read your work, where can they uh, check that out? Um, if, uh, if anybody wants to check it out, you know, uh, I write over at camdenchat.com, which is SB Nation's, uh, Baltimore Orioles blog. And, um, if you're really into the numbers and want to get, you know, uh, into some more in-depth stuff, you can check me out at SB Nation's, uh, Beyond the Box Score, where we, uh, do a little bit more analytic work. Um, both good, but, uh. I uh, my my specialty is certainly uh, the Orioles. Cool. Do you have a favorite stat? My favorite stat. Uh, I tell you what. I've been looking. Uh, the one I've been using recently. I'm still kind of getting in tune with everything, but uh, I like uh, you know weighted runs created plus. It's real easy to understand because I'm. I'll be honest with you. I was never much of a numbers guy. <laughs> Even, you know, in high school, I didn't do very well in college math. <laughs> So when you break it down, you say, "All right, 100 is league average." You take it up from there. That's uh, ma- makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the Orioles. Uh, this podcast is kind of assuming that they're going to make the playoffs, even though we're talking, you know, with three days left in the regular season. So I guess uh, assuming they make the playoffs, you consider that a pretty successful year for the the Orioles. Yeah, you know what? Um, I the, the the one thing that Orioles Twitter has kind of held on to was the fact that uh, Sports Illustrated projected the Orioles to win 69 games this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had, uh, you know, Pakoda um, had the Orioles, I think, around 70, low 70s, uh, somewhere, maybe 70 or 71. They've certainly done more than I, re- I realistically thought. Um, and, you know, with uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, you know, prior to his little second half uh, resurgence, you know, he started off, uh, kind, you know, kind of ugly from last year. Didn't really think it would carry over. Um, after they cut Miguel Gonzalez, it almost looked like the pitching was kind of crumbling. But we knew, you know, we knew the power was going to be there, and it has for the most part. Um, but where they're at right now, they're at 80, 86 wins. And, you know, even if, if they don't make it, I think um, people will – ultimately be disappointed because of where they were at, where they've been at for so long throughout the year. If they, if they, if they don't, you can kind of look at it and say, you know, this was a pretty stacked 
American League with the Tigers having come having come on late mm-hmm. and all the guys that they have. Uh, the Blue Jays were obviously going to be a threat. The Red Sox, um, they're one of the most, I mean, I, even being a rival team, they're one of the most fun teams you, that you can watch out mm-hmm. of anybody. Even the Astros have, the Astros gave the Orioles fits all year. The Mariners have given the Orioles fits all year. But, you know, I think given the, uh, the uh, one dimensional side of the team, I think that, I think they've held up very, very well. And, you know, if they, if they don't make the postseason, I think still reaching close to 90 wins in a stacked American league uh, where a lot of teams are really, really good. I can't, you know, it'd be hard to look at it as, uh, as unsuccessful. Definitely. Yeah. I looked, they were 51 and 36 at the all-star break. And then uh, they've been 36 and 36 since then going into the last, last weekend of the regular season. Uh, So they've kind of come back, but um, because of the great first half, they're, uh, they're right in the playoff hunt. So you mentioned, how the team is pretty unbalanced uh, with the hitting, obviously uh, much better than the pitching. Uh, who would start the one game playoff if, uh, if they could kind of, you know, manipulate the schedule how they wanted. I think if Buck Showalter could have it the way he, you know, if, if, if we were living in a perfect world, I think he would have, he would probably go with Chris Tillman. Um, Tillman has been pretty much the steady heartbeat of the, of the rotation all year. Um, despite, uh, last year where he kind of, uh, he showed up to camp a little bit out of shape. You could kind of tell he was, he wasn't himself last year after coming off of two consecutive seasons of, uh, I think he was at 200 innings both years, ERAs around, uh, you know, mid threes, high threes. I think that's the guy that he would want to have pitch in a big moment. If, uh, if I was playing fanboy, which, uh, which I'm, which I'm going to do right now, <laughs> I uh I would pro I would probably I would like to see Kevin Gosman on the mound. Mm-hmm. I think if you're talking one game, electric you know guy's got electric he's got a you know high 90s fastball, splitter with great movement. He's got a decent enough changeup to play off of play off of that. He's got a slider that he's uh, started to work back into his uh, repertoire a little bit more. But I think Buck is is if you know if if uh, all holds the way it is right now. Um, I think that we'll, we'll probably see Chris Tolman in that game. And then talking about the offense, uh, Manny Machado, Trembo have been fantastic. Um, Trembo just with home runs pretty much, but Machado all around game. Who are some other guys that have really performed well this year? I think one, one person that, you know, uh, hasn't really gotten the mainstream, uh, the mainstream love that, uh, some other rookies have is Hansu Kim who uh, the Orioles got from uh, Korea back in December for two years and seven mil. And uh, at a one, you know, at a one twenty two weighted runs created plus. There you go. Um, the guy, the guy right <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, he uh, he's, I think he's, you know, he's slashing, you know, he's got a batting average just over 300. His on base percentage has hovered up and down around 400 all year. A decent enough slugging, you know, in the four fifties, you know, he, Kind of a do-it-all guy, you know, uh, gets, you know, he works the count, takes the walk when he's giving it, you know, giving it to him, um, willing to hit the ball the other way. If he gets a fastball in the inner half, he's willing to pull the ball. Jonathan Scope's taking a leap uh, at second base. You know, he still is a big swing and miss guy, but, you know, he's at 24 home runs right now. Um, he'd been hitting around 300 uh, a little bit after the All-Star break, but that's dipped down to about, two, you know, the low 260s. Um, on, he's still getting below, uh, 
he's not getting on base uh, quite at 30 percent, but um, he plays great defense. Uh, he's rangy for how big he is. He's got mm-hmm. a great arm. Turns a double play as well as anybody in baseball at second base. So you know, I mean, the Orioles. You know, of course, the Mach- you know Machado deserves every bit that he gets. Um, Mark Trumbo's had a great bounce back year. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's a couple other guys that have certainly helped. You know, the Kims, the uh, the Scopes for sure. Did the Orioles trade Trimbo for? Uh, did they get Trimbo for Clevenger? They did. Yeah, that Man, was what uh, a great, especially with him going off the reservation. Yeah, he uh, he had some uh, unwise words to say. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a. I, I mean, you look back at it now, and they had. You know the Orioles were going to go into the year with with Weeders and Caleb Joseph and Clevenger, who showed you know he showed a little bit of a little bit of a bat there towards the end of last year. He always kind of flashed it, but you get a guy that's I mean Trumbo is just fit perfectly for Camden Yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know you take the defense, it's it's uh, it's not good in the outfield, and there's no that's 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 a nice way to say it, but. Um, that guy, I mean, he's he's Duquette. Duquette gets uh, Dan Duquette gets uh, he gets some flack for some few things, but you look at a, a move like Trumbo for Steve Clevenger, I mean, it's just it's just another one of those one of those uh, savvy moves that he uh, he seems to make every year. Mm-hmm. With Machado, had a great season. He's in the MVP conversation. Uh, who is your AL most valuable player? A lot of a lot of hot takes on Twitter today. Oh yeah, yeah, that was I, I that was blowing up earlier today. I I, uh, I love Mookie Betts. I think he's been awesome all year, especially you know watching almost every single Orioles game. You know, every time it's you know it seems like that guy's on TV, he's hitting a home run, which you can't help but notice. Uh, I think he's got eight. He had eight versus the O's this year. It's ridiculous. Just yeah, it's it's. It's unreal. The guy's so good. You know, he plays great defense in the outfield. I think he has, uh, was it 32 defensive runs saved, leads all baseball in right field. But try, I, I, I personally, I, I think the, I think labeling the most valuable player to a playoff team just kind of, it, it, it doesn't really, it, it's not the way I view it. You know, I, I've always viewed the MVP as the best player in the league. And Mike Trout's uh, Mike Trout's still the best player in the league. No one's no one's taking that away from him. So your Trout Trout MVP, he's got your vote. Trout. Nice, it's the right answer in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. A couple more questions. Uh, one, I just wanted to briefly uh, ask you: um, attendance at Camden Yards down the stretch has got you know discussed a little bit, um, especially yeah. that Red Sox series um, last week. What's your as an Orioles fan? What's your take on? Uh, Orioles attendance this year you know I I haven't I I wish I'd be I you know been able to go back um you know back east I haven't I haven't been back there in quite a long time my my dad grew up in Baltimore um you know raised me and my brothers and my sister on Orioles baseball and um you know it's a shame when they you know in 2012 when they you know you couldn't buy a seat to the place and then 2014 uh when they won the ALEs for the first time and um, you know, since 97 place was packed every single night. And, you know, even last year when they were 81 and 81, they were, they were getting crowds. I really, I, I mean, I really can't attest to, um, to why they're not getting people at the games. Um, I don't really have an inside. I mean, I, I, I don't really have much of a, much of a, a scoop, you know, but, um, I just know that I know that it's disappointing because, 
you know, you've got great players like, you know, you got Manny Machado, who's the best, in my opinion, he's the best third baseman in baseball. Um, you know, that's a little biased, but you know, I can, <laughs> I can do that every now and then. Hey, Chris Bryant is pretty good too. Oh yeah. He's awesome. Um, it's super disappointing because, you know, you got really good players out there that are doing really good things. You know, you got, like we talked about before, you get a guy like Mark Trumbo, who's leading all of baseball in home runs. Um, you know, it just seems like the, you know, that Oriole magic that the, Oriole, you know, that the team had produced since Buck Showalter, um, came, uh, came on it. It's not like it's vanished, you know, that same kind of craziness that happens at Camden Yards hasn't disappeared. I mean, we still got a, there's still a winning ball club, which makes the, uh, the attendance thing just, it's, it's so dumbfounding to me. Well, I'm sure it'll be packed, uh, come the playoffs. Um, so my last two questions, I'm asking each of our 10 guests this, uh, first question, uh, if the Orioles were to make a run and win the world series seems, you know, uh, pretty unlikely, but if they were to do that, what's the main reason why? Uh, the main reason would be because the offense would be getting hot. I think would, they would be getting hot at the right time. Um, they've collectively as a, as a group, uh, the, uh, I think I, I, I was, I was writing something the other day and the second half team, you know, we'll, we'll go back to weighted runs, uh, created plus here. Nice. They had the, uh, I think it was the second lowest, uh, team, uh, uh, WRC plus since the start of the second half. Um, Chris Davis has absolutely vanished. Uh, Manny Machado, he's been, you know, still playing great defense, still hitting home runs, but not quite getting on base like he was, um, he, uh, like he was in the first half on top of, you know, getting a bunch of hits. Um, Trumbo is Trumbo's kind of looked a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit out of sorts. Uh, Jonathan scope has really gone into a tailspin. Um, but it looked yesterday on, on, uh, it was it was Wednesday's ball game when the Orioles were down two to one in the top of the ninth, and Hunsu Kim hit the hit the game winning home run in the top of the ninth off of Ozuna. They came out the next day and they were taking pitches, hitting singles, much more controlled at the, you know at the plate, and it almost it, it 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 just feels like they're kind of remembering how to how to go about their business, and it's I think I think the pitching will will always be a, a bit of a question mark, but if the Orioles are going to make a run to the world series, it's, they're going to have to hit. And I think they're finally starting to, my gut tells me that there's a little bit more coming around, around the corner here, uh, to, to start October. And then opposite of that question, if they, uh, don't make the world series, you know, even if they lose the wild card game, what's, what's the reason? Strikeouts. I think, uh, I think the you know if, if they don't make it out of that first that first round it'll be because we'll see a, a team that's built on uh, swinging for the fences. I think strikeouts and the inability to put the ball in play will end up um, like it was in the second half would end up being their downfall in a, in a one game playoff. Great. Well, um, I'm a Cubs fan by heart, but I always root for the Orioles. I like them a lot, like a lot of their players. Um, so best of luck, and we'll. Make sure to check out your work as the playoffs continue. Thanks, Pete. I uh, appreciate you having me on here. This is a uh, this is actually my podcast debut on International Podcast Day. <laughs> you did great. So 
I feel, I feel, I, I'm, you know, I feel awesome, uh, you know, you having me on here. So, uh, thank you very much. Hey, no problem. You were great. Hey, thanks, Pete. Appreciate it, man. Our next guest on the podcast is Brandon Land, who is here to help us break down the Texas Rangers. Brandon is the founder and editor of One Strike Away, and you can follow him on Twitter at that handle, One Strike Away. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. Well, Brandon, the Rangers have done it again this year. They've uh, they've surprised us all. I think um, a lot of people, myself included, had predicted a little bit of regression after their AL West uh, championship season last year. So I guess my first question is just how have they done it? What's been the key to their success so far this year? Uh, so far, uh, the one-run games have really been a huge factor. Uh, they set a record for record for their winning percentage in one-run games. I, I think it's something like 33 and 11 or something like that. It, it's just nuts. And so, you know, that's that's something that you can't really hang your hat on for success going forward. But it, you know, looking back, it doesn't matter. It is what it is. So you look at them now. As of right now, they're a 95-win team. They're looking to tie the franchise record for wins in a season today. If they can win today they'll they'll reach 96 wins so if you look at, at just the, the underlying stats the run differential right now they're at plus 10 wow which you you wouldn't really equate to being a powerhouse team that's you know coming close to 100 wins but you know, here they are and it, it's really because of that record in one run games and you know the run differential it's good it, it provides some predictive value you know perhaps Going forward, maybe next year, with you know all things being equal, you wouldn't expect them to continue that success. But you know, as far as going into the playoffs, you know, once you get in, it it really doesn't matter. It's kind of a crapshoot anyway. So, you know, I, I think they're just thrilled to be in. They'll have home field advantage through you know the World Series if if they if they do continue playing to that point. So as long as they're playing in the playoffs, they'll have home field advantage. So that's great. Yeah, such a fascinating season. I looked last night and. Both the Astros and Mariners have a higher or bigger run differential. So just uh, yes. an amazing season. It really is. And, and you know, it, it just goes to show you never know what can happen in baseball. If you had asked me before the season, and, and some did, um, I felt like this, this team could contend for another ALS title. There was no way I had them being you know, the, the best record in the American League. And I certainly didn't have them at nine, ten games above the next closest division competition. I figured at least, at the very least, it would come down to the wire with the Astros again. And, and you know, maybe there's been some some bad cluster luck there with the Astros and the Mariners. But, again, once you reach this point, it, it doesn't really matter how you got there. It's just that you get in. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, a number of guys have had really good seasons for the Rangers. Beltre, you know, Hamels has had a really good year. But I think two um, intriguing players um, for me personally as an outsider are uh, Matt Bush and, and Carlos Gomez. And so I just kind of like to take those one at a time. You know, Matt Bush has probably had the most remarkable uh, comeback story of anyone in baseball in a long time, maybe since Josh Hamilton. Just what has it been like to cover him and um, see see his growth over the last year? It's been really neat to watch. You know, he came, he, honestly, he ended up, you know, his tryout was basically in a Golden Corral parking lot. He was in a work <laughs> release program in Florida, and he was working at a Golden Corral. And one of the Rangers scouts 
decided to go out, pay him a visit, and said, hey, you know, let's let's see if you still got the arm. So they went out in the parking lot, and the scout was impressed enough that he told the Rangers, hey, we need to take a look at this guy. And he was virtually on no one's radar. Uh, there was, at the time, the overriding feeling was that, you know, he wasn't getting another chance. And, and generally, guys who don't play baseball for four years can't still throw 98, 99 miles an hour. Right. It's just not something that's normal. So, number one, watching him come in and, and be able to still throw that way, that's been impressive. He's become something of a, a potential multi-inning reliever. Um, he can come in, he can throw one inning. Uh, if you need him to go multiple innings, he can, which going into the playoffs, that can be really important. So, you know, they've got maybe some questions after Cole Hamels and you Darvish in the rotation. You know, if you need to pull the plug on one of the starters early, you've got at least a couple of guys that can go multi- multiple innings, and Matt Bush is one of those guys. And from a personal standpoint, it, it's neat to watch him kind of go through that recovery phase. Um, he, much like Josh Hamilton was uh, nearly a decade ago, he doesn't carry cash on him. He's got somebody with him at all times. He, uh, his dad lives with him. So he's very, uh, on a strict regimen, the Rangers have, have set out a protocol for him. He's not allowed to drive. Of course, he doesn't have a driver's license. He, you know, he's not allowed to drive. He's not allowed to drink. Any of those things would immediately have him booted from the organization, no questions asked. And he's done everything they've asked of him so far. And it's just nice to see that on top of that, he's also managed to kind of cut out a nice little role for himself in the bullpen. Yeah, his his numbers are pretty um, remarkable. Um, you know, I, it, it really is. Yeah, less than a you know, in, I think I looked last night in six innings, less than a two and a half ERA, and his WHIP is under one. So probably, probably the Rangers' second best relief pitcher. Would that be accurate? Uh, yeah, and really, there there could be a case to be made that he might be their best reliever. Yeah, remarkable. And, and I guess I mentioned Carlos Gomez as well. Another just very intriguing case. You know, he was cast off by the Astros earlier this year. This is his free agent year. Um, he had been just abysmal with them, and now he goes to the the Rangers, and he's you know arguably the best center field in baseball over the last month. Um, you know, he had OPS of over nine hundred. So, you know, what what's the difference been for him in moving from Houston to Arlington? What's been the key for him this last month? Everything I've seen says that the change of scenery was huge. Yeah. Um, he's not the only guy to, and this isn't to bat, necessarily bash the Houston Astros so much as to say that there have been several guys that have said that they don't really like the culture in Houston. Carlos Gomez has been one of those, which, I mean, of course, it's easy to say when you don't have success in a place. Right. To, to say after the fact, oh, well, I didn't like the culture. He said that uh, the Rangers also had Delano DeShields, who came up originally in Houston's organization, who is, has previously said you know, he wasn't really a big fan of the culture. Um, they've had trouble you know, getting players. Cole Hamels kind of famously last year turned down a trade to the Astros only to accept one to the Rangers yeah, that's right. you know, a week later. And so there's definitely something there. And, and you know, it, it probably goes back to some of the ways they've handled their their amateur uh, scouting and whatnot, you know, they they've had some some high profile cases where you know maybe they've tried to undercut some some guys on their signing bonuses and whatnot, and so that, that definitely plays into it a little bit. And beyond that, you know, just sometimes just getting into a new place and feeling like you get that fresh start, 
can kind of get you out of your own head a little bit. And with, with baseball players, that, that's sometimes really huge. And the interesting thing with Carlos Gomez is he's kind of sparked a, a conversation about the outfield going into the playoffs. Yeah. It had been assumed for a while that, you know, maybe he would platoon with Nomar Mazzara in left field. But with the way things have gone, you know, he's, he's sort of forced at least a conversation. And I don't know that it will happen, but I've mentioned at least once in the past week that maybe their best defensive alignment in the outfield, as far as their lineup and defense, would actually be to have Nomar Mazzara in left field, have Carlos Gomez in center field, and then run with Shinsu Chu and Carlos Beltran in right field. And, you know, kind of have them share DH and right field duties. Of course, that leaves Ian Desmond out, you know, kind of on the outside looking in, which isn't necessarily popular. But if you look, you know, Ian Desmond on the whole has had a, a solid season compared to what they expected from him. But in, in the second half of the season, he's just fallen off a cliff. His, his OPS in the second half of the season is 630. Wow. And if you go back to July 22nd, his OPS is 591. So he's definitely a player that's been trending on the wrong side. And so there's at least a case to be made that maybe just on a, a, a value perspective, maybe he doesn't really deserve the playing time going into the playoffs. I don't think that will happen. But maybe there should at least be a conversation. Yeah, and I think Gomez will be such a fascinating uh, free agent case too. I mean, do you? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some team out there that gives him a four or five year deal. Um, but uh, it, it's very possible. Yeah, it could be could be a disaster or it could be a really good buy. Um, finally, just to wrap up here, I want you to to complete two sentences for me. Uh, the first sentence is if the Rangers win the World Series this year, it will be because of blank. The bullpen. With the, you know, as I mentioned, the starting rotation is a little little shaky after Cole Hamels and you Darvish. Uh, when you get into the playoffs, you know, you can you can afford with with a little more leniency. You don't necessarily need to roll with a five man rotation. Uh, you can you can expand your bullpen a little bit. So if your if your starters get into some trouble you know, fourth, fifth inning, you can go ahead and turn to your bullpen in a close game. Whereas, you know, regular season, if your starter is is leaving before the fifth inning, you're usually looking at a game you're getting blown out in. That's a little different in the playoffs, and I think that the bullpen's going to be a huge, huge contributing factor. Of course, Matt Bush, we mentioned. Um, Sam Dyson, he was he was possibly overused a, quite a bit in the first half of the season. Jeff Bannister's managed to, to cut back on that a little bit, and he's He's been better for it. Um, Tanner Shepherds has been a nice surprise over the last month or so. And then, of course, Jeremy Jeffers has come back from rehab. And he's a little bit of a wild card, but at the very least, he provides another late-inning option for Jeff Bannister. Gotcha. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. And I feel like so many teams, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's somewhat of a weakness. You know, we um, talk about the Red Sox, one of their major weaknesses is their bullpen. I know the Indians have a slightly better bullpen, but it'll be interesting to see the battle of pens and how that plays out in the playoffs. Definitely. Um, the second sentence I wanted you to complete was, if the Rangers fall short and uh, either don't make the World Series or lose in the World Series, it will be because of blank. Would be the starting rotation. Hmm. Um, Martin Perez and Colby Lewis are looking like they'll be the third and fourth starters. Colby Lewis, of course, missed uh, two-plus months. Uh, he was dealing with, with a shoulder and arm issue. Um, he hasn't been 
the same player he was before the injury, which you would expect as a guy kind of works his way back. So, you know, he's not necessarily been as, as unhittable as he was. And he's always been a little bit home run prone. And, you know, he'll usually give up at least one home run every time out. And so sometimes he tends to, to struggle with that. And Martin Perez, for his part, uh, generally you're not going to get an average start from Martin Perez. You're going to get a player who either goes out and he he's working with the changeup, he's working with the sinker. So in those good starts, you know, it's fantastic. He'll get seven innings and, you know, give up one or two runs. The problem with Martin Perez is more often than not, he'll he'll have one inning where he just loses it. Unfortunately, the Rangers don't really have many better options. Of course, the trade market this year, you know, they, they were rumored to be in on trying to acquire Chris Sale, uh, Chris Archer, several other guys. Yeah. The market price was just too high. It never happened. So, of course, they tried to beef up the offense. But if they struggle in the playoffs, I, I think more likely than not it's going to be because of the starting rotation. Very good. Well, the uh, Rangers have had a, a fascinating regular season and be interested to see if uh, they can make it a fascinating postseason as well. Brandon, we appreciate you hopping on with us and uh, folks can follow you again at One Strike Away. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks. Have a good one. Our next uh, guest, our first nationally guest in the podcast, is Brian Murphy, and he is here to talk about the Giants. Brian, welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, just so I get a visual here, are you in traffic in L.A.? I am in traffic on the 101. Uh, it would be called the 101 South, but I'm technically heading east right now. Wow. In, in Los Angeles. Is, so the L.A. traffic scene is always hyped. is pretty terrible. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would say that it's perfectly rated, either under or over. <laughs> That's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fans can uh, follow Brian on Twitter at the handle every sixth day. Uh, also find him uh, on McCoveyChronicles.com. Uh, because you write for that site, uh, do you know Grant Brisby very well? Oh, we are, I mean, every year we get together for a retreat, and uh, we share bunk bed, and um, <laughs> yeah, we know, we have a grand old time. Yeah, no, I, I know Grant. I mean, I I wasn't at his wedding or anything uh, that intense, but we, we definitely have a working relationship. Cool. He's uh, he's somehow better uh, off the site uh, than on the site, and he's a fantastic, incredible writer, and he's a generous and gracious boss, and I'm um, happy to write on a site and feels, uh, feels like I got really lucky in that regard. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Both Paul and I, uh, are big, uh, big grant fans on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the giants. Uh, what the heck is going on with the giants this year? I mean, best record in um, baseball first half. And I mean, no one really got all that injured. Uh, it's not like they had tons of injuries. Their stats. I mean, don't like nothing jumps off at you when you look at individual stats, so for someone that hasn't watched them, uh, you know, day by day, just describe what the 2016 Giants have been like. Uh, this, the 2016 Giants, uh, if I could describe it visually, it's like ordering uh, a banana split um, on a train. <laughs> and, and it's like the most amazing banana split you've ever seen. Uh, and you're just about to eat it. 
and then there's a, a huge train wreck. Oh no! And it's and it's it's a mess. Nobody dies because now the tragedy. But it's just a disaster. You know, the train's ripped open. There's fire and disaster. And your bananas, your bananas flips everywhere. It just splattered. <laughs> Uh, and you'll never ever have that first experience, that experience of eating it for the first time again. Yeah, you'll forever have associated with that banana split the horrible train wreck that you're in. Um, there's no sugar coating. The Giants, uh, they have the potential to end the season as the worst team in baseball. Which you know, if you if you win the World Series, you go in to the next season as the the champions, right? I think that we should rechristen. Oh, you know, oh, the Twins lost 100-plus games. They're the worst. They entered the season as the worst team in baseball. No, no, no. I think it's the team that, like, the champions and how they end the second hmm. half. That's determinant. Oh, because okay. I feel like that would be a good um, underdog story for the Giants to finally cling to. So I guess, you know, <clears throat> you've had this rough year. If they do squeak into the playoffs, is there any chance that they go on kind of an improbable run? Uh, do you, can you envision that at all? Well, uh, it is it is an even year. I'm not sure if you're aware. It's 2016, so it's an even year. I do not buy into that. I I (laughs) do not buy into that. I think it's like the the silliest thing ever. But you know, whatever whatever people need to get through the day, I guess. But uh, if they get in, I mean, it's that playoff. The playoff tropes are anything can happen, and pitching tends to rule the day. Now, I might say pitching in relation to the Giants, and we might all have a big laugh, and I would laugh with you. But <laughs> Madison Bumgarner, Johnny Cueto, and Jeff Smarger, Matt Moore, that might be in a five-game series pretty tough for a lot of teams. You know, the Mets have been, their pitching staff has been decimated by injury. They're basically looking at Syndergaard and Cologne as sort of their two main anchors. Their bullpen is clearly better than the Giants, and their offense is probably... Yeah, it's better as well, but the starting pitching is maybe not quite as strong um, through three spots, and that might be something as a matchup where the Giants might have a touch of an advantage. I think Bumgarner might be overweighted uh, by people if the Giants somehow squeak in, only because the last two seasons, and last year uh, Bruce Bochy actually said it, this year it hasn't been said, but there's been signs of it, and that is that Madison Bumgarner is actually, you know, 2014. He maybe we got the most out of him that they'll ever get. Hmm. He's worn down the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the second half, he hasn't. You know, he ended the first half of of this season with like one of the best starts he's ever had in his entire career, postseason or otherwise. And since then, he's had some really good starts, including a game where he got pulled after seven innings and throwing a one-hitter against the Dodgers in a game they needed to win. Uh, but And he's looked fine, but he's clearly been gassed uh, in a lot of starts. Uh, he had a six-run lead last Saturday in San Diego, and San Diego Padres basically are playing the, the AAA team who are beating the holy hell out of the Giants. Can mm-hmm. I swear on this podcast? Holy hell. Um, we'll let you. In any case, I would say that the Giants' rotation is their strength that if you were to kind of squint and see a playoff contender, that would actually be the front line of it. I think offensively, it's just a lot of shrugs and head scratching. And at the the trade deadline, I thought the Giants uh, missed out on an opportunity to, 
um, trade for a closer. Do you think that would have helped uh, much in the second half, or was it kind of a lost cause? Well, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know if you needed that much hindsight uh, to see that. Yes, a a top tier relief pitcher would have really made the second half a little smoother. Hmm. Um, and they miss. I'm going to say the Giants are twenty seven and forty two in the second half. I could be wrong. Maybe they get closer to five hundred with a slightly better bullpen. They would have had to. They would have had to have gone without Joe Panic, which. I'm saying that because there was that rumor or that comment floated that the Yankees asked for Joe Panic in exchange for Andrew Miller. I think any Giants fan at this juncture would have taken that, would do that deal right now. Definitely. Um, uh, would Mark Melanson, who went over to Washington, would he have helped? Yes. The Giants would have been better off in the second half if they had traded for a frontline reliever. I would say that they did pretty well for themselves next year and maybe the year after um definitely for next year and i think that's a little underrated because if you're in the front office you're always in that position right of like i've got to win now but i've also got to keep winning Mm -hmm. and um and nunez moore and smith are both under team control for next year and in moore's case at least uh beyond and so that's valuable that has its own value so it's it's kind of tough Assuming that it's a Mets Giants one game wild card, how do you how do you feel about that? You you mentioned the Mets pitching has been decimated. Uh, it'd probably be Baumgartner and uh, Cologne or Syndergaard. Well, I think it's set up to be uh, Syndergaard and Baumgartner. And I mean, if that's the case, this is sort of my thinking when the when the Giants went in to play Pittsburgh in 2014. It's just there just comes that point in a in a like a roller coaster or if you're skydiving or whatever, you just gotta just let go. You know, you just kinda, you know and whatever happens happens and uh and I would say that I would walk I'll go into that game with no uh expectations for outcomes. I mean anything is likely. You know, when in twenty fourteen I infamously I guess wrote an article should the Giants even try to win the wild card game? Because Giants can do well in Pittsburgh. And even though they had Madison Bumgarner on the mound, it's like, well, you can see that being, you know, one to nothing. And they just had that game earlier this year where Bumgarner comes in and gave up one hit. There's a home run to, like, the backup catcher who hadn't played, who was, like, an independent ball, like, the week before. <laughs> and the Giants lost. And they don't do well in Pittsburgh. And, you know, when the Mets and the Giants play this you know play each other usually something weird happens with those two teams and you know famously when the Giants first played the Mets in the playoffs it was 2000 and Bobby J Jones one hit them and and uh, Timo Perez and Benny Ogbayani really smashed them around and so who knows it, you know if it's not Noah Syndergaard coming in it, it could be Logan Verrett or something I don't know mm-hmm. so it's it's just one of those things. But then also, if Bumgarner goes in and throws eight innings of, of shutout baseball, no one will be surprised. Um, I guess in 2014, I was kind of thinking, like, Edison Volquez is starting. The Giants dodged the Garrett Cole bullet. It would have definitely been a death shot because Garrett Cole owns the Giants. But Edison Volquez is, like, one of those, at the time, boy, was on the Royals, was like, he was one of those random guys. There was, like, a, a shutout. You know, you never know, and that didn't happen. 
Um, so it's just that's kind of the beauty and the tragedy of being uh, playoffs. Definitely, and I'd I'd be super excited to watch a Syndergaard Baumgartner matchup. I, I think that's the matchup that baseball is hoping for, for at least ratings yeah. wise. I mean, if Bumgarner and Syndergaard Homer off of each other, let's say, that would be exciting. Oh, yeah. Regardless of the outcome, that'd be pretty cool. With how bad the offense has been, have they considered using Baumgartner yeah. in the field? <laughs> they have not considered that. They would not consider that. They would only give up their DH to put his bat in the lineups. <laughs> Got it. Well, uh, I want to end with the same questions I'm asking each each guest. Uh, the first one is, if the Giants make um, a run and win the World Series, uh, what will be the reason, other than the fact that it's an even year? <laughs> if, they, if they make a run and win it all, it's going to be because of them playing like they did earlier in the season. Uh, Pence, Posey, and Belt will come to life maybe not in the same series or in the same game but they will be the thing that lights the fire into them hmm. and then the, the reverse of that if they fail to, to make a run even if they lose the one game wild card um what do you think ultimately will be their downfall i'm gonna say it's the same thing uh i think the giants have found you know they've been able to put ducks in the pond or get runners on base mm-hmm. And it it always comes down to those three guys. Uh, and if they can come through when they absolutely are needed to. I'm leaving out Brandon Crawford here, which is probably not a great thing. You know, it's not wise to do. Other teams shouldn't do that. Um, but those are the three big guys. And, you know, those are the ones that tend to find themselves in the biggest spots most often. And so if they can come through, I think it, it, lo- it lessens the burden on all that pitching, everything we've talked about about the Giants' obvious deficiencies. Even their their offense, their defense is not tremendous. Um, Pence maybe not as great because of all the injuries. Span certainly not as great. Certainly better than Pagan in center, but Pagan in left is not fantastic either. And then it looks like Eduardo Nunez is not going to be in the wild card game. He's still going to be injured. So you've got Connor Gillespie probably at third base, which mm. is not optimal. Mm. Um, Brandon Crawford still, you know, he's now he's now like second banana to Corey Seager, the greatest player in the history of the National League at shortstop. <laughs> but uh, Brandon Crawford exists, and he has made good plays in the field. Uh, second base, you know, Panic Panic is solid and, and Belt's great at first, and Posey is the best pitch framer in baseball and is still a force behind the plate. So but they, they have some strengths on defense, um, but they certainly have weaknesses that could be covered if if Posey's hitting three run home runs uh, and, and Pence is driving the ball the other way. Um, then I think they're really dangerous, um, and it just takes the pressure off of everybody else, which is when the Giants play all baseball teams, when they play a little bit more relaxed. Uh, last question, uh, do you have a favorite uh, of the three World Series? <laughs> uh it's it's 2010 it's the first one mm-hmm. it's it's not unlikely it's not the unlikeliest but it just had some fantastic moments in there i mean tim Lincecum's game against the braves is uh, game one will always be a classic <laughs> personally i was at game two which was not a tragedy because of the outcome but was such a shock 
the Giants losing that game late, uh, to Rick and Keel, of all people. Hmm. Um, you know, and they had Aubrey Huff on the team. I mean, that was weird. They beat Cliff Lee. Um, and, you know, the Philly series was kind of a classic. They didn't face any elimination games. Um, and 2010 just had that pureness, wow. that pureness of spirit of just like, this is the first time. And it's sort of doing it with all these guys who've been around for a while. Um, plus Buster Posey coming in as really like a savior. Um, so it's, it's special in all those ways. Yep, I'm a Cubs fan, so I think similar sort of feeling. If the first time they win it uh, will obviously be the most uh, most special. Yeah, right. I mean Mark Bellhorn. No, Mark Bellhorn is uh, a hero in in Boston, and uh, you know, and he he was because he was part of that first team. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dave Roberts so, stole one base. Yeah, Dave <laughs> Roberts, Bill Miller, yep. for sure, um, Kevin Millar, you know, so. Uh, I, I think there's just something when you want something so much and we invest so much time watch if you're if you're a casual fan of baseball even you we commit a lot of time watching baseball because of how long the games are and because of how long the seasons are but it is really you know it's it's nice to have your faith rewarded to steal the line from that, uh, the Jeff Knight <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice, it's good to have your faith rewarded sometimes alright well we'll end on the Batman Dark Knight reference. Uh, Thanks so much, Brian, for jumping on with us, and uh, we'll make sure to check out your work throughout the playoffs. Thanks for having me. Our next guest on the podcast is Jake Devereaux. Uh, He is a writer and podcaster for BP Boston, where he covers the Red Sox. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, Jake, as you mentioned, I think in your last podcast um, over at Baseball Prospectus, this season has been very uh, cathartic for Red Sox fans mm-hmm. after finishing last in the AL East a couple years in a row. Uh, the Sox are poised to win at least 93 games and uh, win the AL East fairly comfortably. Um, so I, my first question is just what's been the difference this year? Well, I think it's been a few things. Um in 2014 and 2015, when they finished last in the division, um, their runs scored were way down. They were, in 2014, 643 runs scored. 2015, it was 748. Um, and in their championship year of 2013, it was all the way up to 853. And they've actually eclipsed that mark already with a few games to go uh, in 2016. They've scored 874 runs, wow. which leads the league. Um and also their pitching's been much better. Uh, in 2016, they posted an 18.5 pitcher war uh, for their starting pitcher staff and their relievers combined, um, which is actually better than their championship mark from 2013. So um, when you have you know better hitting, better pitching, and uh, even better fielding, uh, everything's going to get significantly better. I think with those years where they finished last place, um, what they were dealing with was uh, basically a transition period from the championship team in 2013 that probably um, shouldn't have happened. It was almost lightning in a bottle with that season. You had Victorino, uh, you had Ellsbury, you had Napoli, uh, Jared Saltalamacchia, Stephen Drew, all had excellent years in 2013, and they were all signed to... Uh, relatively low money contracts. There was a lot of low risk guys that just happened to have amazing years that year. 
Uh, and then every single one of those players either went to another team or had a significantly worse season uh, in 2014. And then that transition to the new guys and the new nucleus that we have now um, with Betts, Bogarts, and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. sort of started in 2014. And I think that now in 2016, we're finally seeing all of that fruit come to ripen. And that's why the Sox are as good as they are now. Yeah, and one of the, I guess, one of the fruits that has uh, especially ripened this year is uh, Mookie Betts. He's probably my, um, you know, personally my favorite Red Sox player. And he's having an insane season. Uh, I looked up the numbers before uh, we recorded here, and he's up to 9.4 in terms of uh, war. Um, That's according to baseball reference, and that's second only to Trout in all of baseball. So, you know, what's it been like to watch him develop these past couple seasons? And did you at all see this type of season coming from him? Well, first of all, it's been a joy uh, to watch Mookie Betts. Um, Since the time he came up, he's just had such a good attitude. Um, Every single day he goes out there with a smile on his face, plays great defense, never complains. I mean, this is is a guy who was a shortstop. Then he was a second baseman. Then he was told to play the outfield. Uh, He's done all of this stuff very gracefully, um, learned all these different positions. Now he's in right field, and it seems like every time – there's any sort of a gap in Mookie Betts' game. Uh, he works harder than anybody else to fill that gap. And um, to answer your question about this year in particular, I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. For as small as a guy as Mookie Betts is, um, I don't think anybody was expecting 30 home run pop. I think we all kind of figured, uh, all of us Red Sox guys figured like 20 to 25 home runs would be a really good number for him. But the type of power that he's been able to to show at such a young age uh, while keeping the speed and the defense and adding to his game with uh, his throwing ability from right field has really just, it's all come together in, in a way that none of us could have expected. Yeah, if you, uh, <clears throat> if you had a vote for uh, AL MVP, would you consider Betts over Trout, or what's kind of your take on that? Well, um, I think I'd still vote Trout. Um, just because I think Dave Cameron spelled it out really nicely a couple days ago in his article for, for um, Fangraphs. And basically the gist of it is that um, Trout's made about 100 less outs this year uh, than Mookie Betts has. So really when you come down to uh, per plate appearance offensive production, um, nobody's really close to Trout. That being said, I'm not going to complain if uh, – Mookie Betts goes ahead and gets it based on the fact that um, he's been extremely valuable to his team in every facet of the game. And obviously the Red Sox are having a lot more success than the Angels. So um, in that regard, I do think he deserves it. And I think that he is much more likely to get it than Trout. But, um, you know, I I still come from that sabermetric school of thinking. And with that, you got to give it to Trout. Yeah, I love uh, – there's been a couple of broadcasts I've watched recently or seen people tweet about where they'll throw up, you know, potential candidates for AL MVP and Trout won't won't even make the uh, cut. It'll be like, you know, Betts, Ortiz, Altuve or something like that. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm similar to you. I come from the kind of sabermetric way of thinking. And to have a 10-win player not even be considered as a candidate is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, there are some other – Great players having awesome years. I mean, Altuve's been great. Josh Donaldson's been great. But um, bad team and fatigue or whatever, um, voter fatigue, it, it doesn't matter. Trout is 
head and shoulders above everybody else. And the, the most remarkable thing I think about Trout is just how consistent he's been able to be since his first full season in the big leagues uh, all the way till now. It's just consistent nine-plus war seasons every year. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, and it's a bummer uh, that the Angels are terrible and he, he won't be in the playoffs this year. Yeah, pr- probably not for very many years. <laughs> right. that, that team's in terrible shape right now. They've got a, a farm system that's just uh, just in shambles. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, you may not be aware of this, but we're actually located in, uh, in central Illinois, um, which is about two hours from Chicago. And so there's been a, just a ton of Cubs buzz this year. And this past week that Buzz is kind of focused primarily on uh, Theo Epstein, who just signed a uh, five-year extension with the Cubs. Uh, he's a, a man that you're well familiar with. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what's kind of your take on his success and what's your take on Red Sox fans' reaction to his success? Are they happy for him and different, or is there still a little bit of angst that he left uh, five years ago now? I think the sense around Sox fans with Theo Epstein is that all of us are just over the moon thankful um, that he was able to come in and help guide that Dan Duquette nucleus, uh, fill in the pieces, and get that championship in 2004. I, I mean, every article you read about him, people in Chicago are still coming up to him with Red Sox hats on saying thank you for 2004. So... Um, there's still a tremendous appreciation for what he did. I think when you actually break it down, more people around here believe that Larry Lucchino and his crew um, bullied Epstein out of town than think that Epstein wore out his welcome, if that makes any sense. So um, I think his skills are very appreciated still. There, there are certainly some Bostonians who think that he abandoned the team for greener pastures, wanted to, you know, make a legacy that would never be touched by winning two championships, one here and one in, in Chicago. And I think there is some element of that. I mean, obviously, he's a young guy. He, he got the job with the Red Sox at 28 years old um, and then broke the curse. So, you know, how you go up from there, I guess that's the only job you can possibly take to right, yeah. to try and match that. But, um, you know, a, a lot of this team is still guys that were drafted by Epstein. So his blueprint is still very much on the club. And, you know, Charrington was his guy. Uh, Sam Kennedy was his guy. He's still there. Um, so there's very much still an Epstein feel uh, amongst this team. Yeah. Uh, finally, I, I want you to complete two sentences for me. Uh, the first sentence, uh, if the Red Sox win the World Series this year, it will be because of blank. Uh, their ability to hit for contact as a team. Um, the Red Sox currently have an 81.6% contact rate as a team. Um, that's the best in baseball. And when you contrast that with the Cubs, um, that's actually one of their biggest weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, the Cubs are at 77.1% contact rate, which is just 24th best in baseball. And um, if the last five, six years have told us anything with the Giants and uh, the Royals being successful, high contact rate teams tend to have success uh, in the playoffs. So I think that's that's definitely the biggest advantage there is their offense and the way that it's constructed. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And if uh, <clears throat> if the Sox fall short, 
of reaching the World Series or fall short in the World Series, it will be because of blank. Dombrowski's Bane, the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's still scary for me to watch Craig Kimbrell. Um, I've been pretty vocal about it on Twitter. Um, even though he's had a really good month in September, uh, it seems like with the game on the line, sometimes he pulls a lot of his pitches, walks a lot of guys, can get in trouble. We still don't really know how Koji Uihara is going to pitch back to back days and in the playoffs. And a lot of those pieces, while they've been performing really well in the second half, they're actually ranked third best bullpen in baseball in the second half. Um, they could go the other way very easily. So I think that's the that's the thing that'll keep them back if they if they are kept back. Well, Jake, we appreciate your time. Uh, folks can follow you on Twitter at uh, devjake. Um, yep. That's D-E-V-J-A-K-E. But appreciate your time, and we'll be uh, rooting for a, uh, a Cubs-Red Sox World Series. That'd be pretty fun. I'll be looking forward to it. It'll be an awesome matchup, and uh, certainly two of the best, two, the two best teams on paper by far. Going to go over to the East for our next uh, playoff team preview. Our guest to talk about the Nationals is Jamal Collier. Welcome to the podcast, Jamal. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Jamal writes about the Nationals for MLB.com. You can find him on Twitter at Jamal Collier. Uh, Jamal, you're a uh, University of Illinois uh, alum like myself and like uh, my, my twin brother, Paul. Uh, just uh, curious to know your your thoughts on the Lovey Smith era so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I've been pretty excited. It's weird. Uh, once I got out of there, I was kind of excited to ignore Illinois football <laughs> and not have to not have to worry about them. And then Luffy got hired, and you know, kind of piqued, uh, sparked my interest. I should say, uh, you know, obviously this this team has still got his holes and, and, and not his guys in there yet. But uh, for the first time in a while, the program has got a chance to actually get some some credibility and actually become some legitimacy. Uh, so, you know, this, this year is going to be what it's going to be because you know, it's not, not as players, not as recruits, but, you know, if he can just start to build things, I'm excited for where they can go within the next couple of years if he is going to stay and be committed. So I'm um, cautiously optimistic right now um, when I was kind of, you know, just kind of ready to, to ignore that part of my life. <laughs> well, uh, that's all the Illinois football talk for this this week's podcast. <laughs> Uh, want to talk to you about the Nationals? It's been a, a really good season for them. Um, I guess just first, uh, just talk through what what the season has been like uh, from a general perspective. Yeah, uh, you know, th- this team was obviously coming off a disappointing 2015, uh, where there's a lot of, of not only just disappointment but dysfunction, um, and, and obviously just hiring Dusty Baker and kind of just getting some guys healthy and, and on the field for a full season uh, was a big thing for them. So, you know, they obviously have just been really steady all year. That's probably been the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Is they've not had a, had a losing month. They really avoided long losing streaks. Um, you know, they kind of just avoided any lulls in general. Uh, that being said, they haven't really had a really a lot of, high, you know, really high peaks necessarily. They haven't had the big 10, 11 game winning streak like we've seen teams like the Cubs or Red Sox do. Um, they've just kind of been really steady. Uh, gotten by pitching has been their, their calling card. They, you know, been at top of the majors in ERA, starter, and bullpen for most of the season. Um, at times they've had guys hitting very well. At times they kind of went on cold streaks. They've had guys really consistent like Daniel Murphy and what God said he's been from, you know, signing him in the offseason, uh, to three year $35 million, I believe it was, 37 and a half. That is kind of the steal of the offseason, the steal of the, mm-hmm. the contract of the offseason right now. 
um, because he's going to be one of the top three and be finishing top three in MVP voting. Uh, so it, a lot of the good things things have gone right for them, uh, even with Bryce Harper, you know, kind of having a really disappointing and odd year coming off the MVP season. We said, I mean, coming off the April, uh, that he was effectively going to light the world on fire again. Um, and it's kind of really just not been that player in the last couple of months. But uh, overall for the Nats, like you said, it's, it's been a very steady uh, and positive season for them. Second best record in the National League. Uh, they should lock up home field advantage uh, for the Dodgers series. And, uh, you know, third in at least title in five years is no easy accomplishment. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Harper. Uh, from, a, you know, almost 10 war season last year, I look right now he's at 1.8. Uh, yeah. Do you think it's injuries, uh, just timing? What has led to such a sharp uh, drop? There's really no reason for it uh, beside injury. You know, I mean, and, and some people can, can say about it, it was a one-year flash or whatever you want to say, but the fact that he came out in, in April was that kind of – was that player. I mean, he was, he was showing every – you know, it was even better than he was, I guess, in that MVP season last year. So for him to come out and do that and then just kind of fall off a cliff, really, with no explanation, you know, injury is kind of the big thing that everybody points to. The Nats have insisted uh, that he is healthy. As SI and Tom Reducci, of course, have reported, you know, famously about the shoulder injury. Um, and the one guy who's been kind of quiet and, and not is the Nationals, Rizzo and Dusty Baker, and everybody has kind of come out and publicly denied that he's hurt at all. Uh, but Bryce has been the only guy who's got him in quiet, and neither hmm. confirming nor denying uh, that report. So, I mean, that does raise some questions for you, and you you know just kind of wonder um, why this player who we thought was, you know, if not the second-best player, some people thought the best hitter in baseball, uh, why all of a sudden, like you said, there are a, a nine-war to eight-war drop-off for him. It just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, really, without the, the – he's still walking at a pretty uh, – you know, great rate. He's mm-hmm. one of the best. You know, takes takes the takes walks away the best in the league. But besides that, his his power numbers are you know kind of where you expect in the league. Where everybody feels like has twenty five home runs. He's still, I believe, at twenty three or twenty four. Um, and and really, September has been the worst month of them all. So um, there are definitely some some reasons to think that uh, he could be hurt. We looked at some things uh, with MLB Statcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's playing uh, the shallowest he ever has in his career. Um, you know, on competitive throws, he's not throwing as hard. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of his little indicators that really are, are saying that something could be up. Now, that being said, like, they, they continue to insist that he is healthy, um, and that he is all right. He's had a little, some nagging things, thumb injuries and neck injury, but besides that, they say he's fine, and it's a guy who, if he is fine or is right, um, can get hot at any point if he's going to be in the lineup there. And if he gets hot, it can do a lot of things for this team. But kind of remains to be seen whether or not he is battling something. What uh, What's it been like to uh, cover Dusty Baker? <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, he is, uh, you know, is, is a guy who's been in the game forever, who has uh, stories about everything, uh, and, and is a guy who, who shows his emotion. Um, and is pretty candid uh, about everything as well. It's Spring training or running joke was that you know every one of his pregame uh, press conferences or, or you know his, uh, spring training he was always thirty minutes late at least because the time it would take him to to come from the bus and walk through the field to come to the dugout and, and talk to the media you know he'd run into all his former players or, <laughs> or former teammates or whatever and everybody wanted to, to talk to him everybody wanted to, to, to say something with him whatever so it just would take him so long to get you know halfway across the field because everybody <laughs> wanted to visit his guy. 
Um, you know, he really is a joy to be around. Uh, and he's got, like I said, so many stories. A guy who obviously played with Hank Aaron, uh, coached, managed Barry Bonds, uh, has wow. been there with the Cubs, been there with the Reds. So he's, you know, he, he's got a good antidote, a good, um, a story for everything pretty much. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them involve Hank Aaron. So anytime, you know, on a random Tuesday, you get some Hank Aaron name drops. It's always, <laughs> uh, always makes it really exciting time. It's funny, uh, Bud Black, by all accounts, you know, had the yeah. the manager job offered to him. So it's, I would think, uh, you're at least pretty happy you got yeah. to cover Dusty Baker for yeah. a year rather than Bud yeah, Black. But, yeah, Bud Black is a, is a great guy too. Actually, was in San Diego and uh, went during one of the years that he was out there managing. Oh, really? uh, and he's a he's a yeah he's an entertaining guy in his own right. Um, but yeah, how about the Nationals? You know, didn't get Bud Black. End up with Dusty Baker. That's worked out fine. All oh, by the way, if Brandon Phillips doesn't uh, exercise his no trade clause, they'd be you know, they'd be dealing with him right now at second base, and where would they be if Daniel, and they wouldn't have signed Daniel Murphy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where would they be if, if their original plans had worked out? A Bud Black, Brandon Phillips, Nationals, maybe we're not uh, we're not having this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, so, can't talk about the Nationals in the playoffs without talking about the injuries. Uh, yeah. Just devastating uh, injury with Ramos going down before the playoffs. Uh, I know Murphy has a sore butt, which has led to a lot of really weird quotes from people. Uh, and yeah. then Harper's, you know, kind of got nagging stuff. So uh, any other injuries to worry about? What's kind of the team's psyche as heading to the playoffs? It's really odd because, you know, with this playoff series with the Dodgers, the Dodgers have been hurt all year. and They're getting the healthiest they have been all season. And the Nationals have pretty much avoided a major injury all year. And now they kind of, you know, got a couple of nagging injuries. They had Jason Wirfs left the game. Uh, on third Friday night with a back, some back tightness. He's, uh, said it's fine and should be okay, but that's something, of course, to watch. The guy got it was 37 and dealing with this. Uh, nagging for Harper, of course, you know, Strasburg, who's not going to pitch in the NLDS and remains to be seen if he could even start ramping up here soon to be able to pitch if they go further. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that is a, a toss on that, whether or not he's going to be able to throw, uh, Ramos, you mentioned. Um, so it's just it's just really uh, unfortunate for them that they, of course, like you said, like I said, just have been so healthy all year, and now just have a lot of little things uh, that are starting to kind of build up. Um, you know, uh, most of the guys, Murphy should be okay, uh, at least to, to play and, and beat him in the division series. We're not sure how much is going to hamper him. Uh, it's really running is kind of an issue when, he, when, he, when he's uh, with the injury. Um, he said he's been able to hit. He's been, you know, hitting in cages, hitting off a tee or so. It's kind of just how much will he be able to run and how mobile will he be at second base? Now, of course, you would say he's not really that mobile at second base anyway. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, really that's going to be the, the big test there and how much can he push it. And the thing Dusty Baker's been kind of worried about is what's going to happen when he's trying to beat out a double play ball or, or try to make it to second on a, a, a double. And that's really when you can, you know, how much can he push? That's why they're keeping him out for the rest of the regular season because you'd rather him really have to push that and expand uh, in games that mean something as opposed to just game number 161 or 162 or whatever. Yeah, th- Dodger fans probably will have nightmares uh, about Murphy, you know, playing in the <laughs> division series again last year with how much he crushed them. Yeah. And the Cubs probably would. The Cubs fans wouldn't mind him being <laughs> that's very know, true. Being, very being true. Sideline as well, either. Very true. Uh, one intriguing player on the Nationals that uh, that we've talked about in the podcast is uh, Trey Turner. Uh, yeah, he didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball, but he has really been uh, just a phenomenal um, hitter and fielder down the stretch. Uh, what uh, what's it been like to to watch him? And I assume, I mean, the future's so bright for him. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty amazing. 
I mean, his guy, everybody kind of thought at the beginning of the year at Peg that at some point he was going to work his way into the lineup. Everybody kind of thought he'd take over the shortstop, uh, you know, for Daniel Espinosa. And then when that didn't kind of work out and the, and the Nationals liked Espinosa, for him not only to, to switch positions, pick up center field, and he's been pretty serviceable out there in center field. He's, there's some plays, of course, that, I mean, he only had six games minors. And he's only now had, you know, 50-some games, 60-something games in the, in the majors uh, out there. So it's like... You know, a guy who really hasn't done it, uh, and still looks pretty natural out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are plays, like I said, here and there where he kind of messes up or, or is out of position or something like that. And those are learning curves that he'll have to get to, um, if he does pick out in the outfield. But, um, you know, for him to be able to pick up that position and still go out there and really play like an MVP candidate, uh, for these last, you know, couple of months, ever since he's been at the top of their order, and that's had the worst Ben Revere and Michael Taylor. Um, had the worst OBP of any leadoff hitters in the Nationals. Really, were just starting out one out pretty much every time at the mm-hmm. top of the uh, inning. And now it feels like they have a man on second because not only is Trey getting on if he doesn't hit a home run, he's getting on, but he also just has the stolen base ability, already thirty some steals. Wow. Um, it's just it's just really just kind of uh, impressive and amazing how much of an impact he's made in this team to get them a legit leadoff hitter, one of the few legit leadoff hitters in, across all of baseball. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Thirty-one for thirty-seven in steals. I'm looking right now. Yes, yeah. that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Amazing. Just a few more questions. Uh, uh, myself, along with our my three brothers, uh, road tripped out to D.C. for a Cubs National Series earlier this season. Enjoyed our time there. Do you expect just great atmospheres for the the playoffs, or how how are fans um, kind of ready for the playoffs? I think everybody is kind of ready for the playoffs. Uh, you know, the the last couple, it, it's been weird because this team has kind of pretty much wrapped up this division for the better part of the second half. Um, you know, the Mets before, before recently didn't look like they were going to be a playoff team at all. So, you know, the Mets have been kind of comfortably ahead, and you've had people, and I would still probably term uh, most of D.C. as kind of cautiously optimistic right now. Uh, you know, they've seen this before. It's tough to, to put these expectations on a team that's only been around for, you know, 10 or 11 seasons, but you know, they've seen this team uh, have success in the regular season and, and, you know, not duplicate in the first round. And it's a bit unfair, but they've also seen it with the uh, Washington Capitals, the hockey team, hmm. who, you know, had the best record in hockey. And that's a big comparison that I've, I've gotten from people in D.C. is they've seen that uh, the Caps had the best record or, or get off the fast starts, walk up the division, you know, early on, and then lose in the first round or lose early in the playoffs. And I think people are a little uh, – a little cautious. It just this team, especially the injuries, haven't made it a lot better. Um, that they you know, don't want to get their hopes up too much when you've got a team like the Cubs or got the Dodgers out there uh, so far. But I would expect them to come out for the playoffs and be excited. They're going to have a, an amazing matchup in uh, Game One. If it isn't, it's almost certainly going to be Kershaw versus Scherzer. Uh, the Nats haven't announced their rotation as of, as of this, but you know, I would be stunned if it's not Max in the first game. And that's just you know, probably two best pitchers in baseball. Uh-huh. You know, going in game one in DC, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, right now, like I said, everybody's a little kind of cautious as to what this team is going to do, but I'd expect, uh, once you get into the playoffs, you, you know, I'd expect people to show up and be excited for this team. Yeah. I've, I've, a couple of weeks ago, I realized that that had, you know, the Scherzer Kershaw matchup had potential to, to happen. And so I'm, I'm super excited for that. The yeah, first game. Looking forward to it. All right, so I'm asking uh, the same two questions to each guest. Uh, the first question, uh, if the Nationals uh, win the World Series, um, what is the main uh, reason why? 
Uh, front of the rotation. I mean, I think the main reason why is, like you said, you have Scherzer, who is, you know, could win the NL Cy Young, probably the favorite to win the NL Cy Young, mm-hmm. uh, and is behind Kershaw, probably the number two pitcher in baseball. Ken O'Rourke has emerged as, you know, a legit top of the rotation starter, and he's a great number two. That's crazy. Uh, you have those. That's crazy. It, 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 it really is for a guy who was not in the rotation last year uh, to, to, you know, make the, still kind of be fighting for a spot coming in spring training to make the rotation. Uh, to make it and 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 just pitch as well as he has, uh, you know he's he's got numbers up there. He's second in the National League, I believe, and in WAR for a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, innings wise, he's up to 200 innings. He his ERA, he had a bad start the last time out. His ERA uh, was around two seven for the most part of this second half. So it's just he's been he's been incredible. And I think the emergence of those two guys, you can pretty much stack them up to anybody else. Uh, in the in the the, the rest of any rotation in the National League, and if you do get Strasburg back, you talk about a top three that is as good, if not better, than anybody else's. Uh, and then the reverse of that question: If the Nationals don't uh, win the World Series, or even if they they lose in the uh, Division Series to the Dodgers, uh, what's the the main reason why? Would it be the injuries? Yeah, it's tough, it's tough to just kind of blame it, especially when you're talking about the Dodgers, they just blame injuries uh, for the team not getting there. But, you know, losing Wilson Ramos really hurts the depth of this lineup. Um, you know, and losing Strasburg kind of takes away from the Nets' biggest strength. Uh, so I'd say injuries is probably the biggest reason. Uh, and then kind of the, the, especially if it does hamper Bryce and Daniel Murphy as well. You know, if Murphy's not the MVP candidate they've had all year, that lineup is a huge, huge hole in the middle. Uh, and if Bryce doesn't kind of pick it up as well. So uh, I'll point to injuries as a kind of all-encompassing thing because mm-hmm. that could definitely be, uh, you know, affecting Bryce and Murphy as well. Well, the the World Series, I think, ends uh, uh, like the first, uh, maybe like November 3rd or 4th, yeah, we, and, and then the election yeah, is November, November 8th. What's yeah, that? Fun time. I, say, I, mean, I don't know if it was a World Series in November this year. Or we, I think so. We done it. I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah so, the election is right after that. So we yeah, I know. So I was just going to say, survive, survive the craziness in Washington. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks, Jamal, and um, we'll make sure to check out your work uh, as the playoffs go on. Hey, anytime, man. I'm glad to do it. Our next guest on the podcast is Dustin Nosler. Uh, covers the Dodgers. Uh, Dustin, welcome to the uh, Foot in the Box podcast. Thanks for having me. You can find Dustin on Twitter at Dustin Nosler. Is Nosler, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, you also do a lot of things on the internet in terms of baseball writing. DodgersDigest.com. Uh, you co-host the Dodgers podcast, Dig Out Blues, which I listen to is, is very good. And then you do some stuff for Hardball Times and Fangraphs. Is that correct? That is correct. And you're, you're all over the place. Uh, about as much as I can be, yeah. It's great. All right. Well, the the Dodgers are in the playoffs. Um, just, uh, I guess, first, just walk us through um, what the season has been like for a, a Dodgers fan. Well, it's been up and down. It started. It started all right. Then there was. A, seems like they always have a down point in the middle of the se- middle of the season. That's kind of what happened this year. Um, they were decimated by injuries, yet they had so much depth that they were able to overcome it. Um, they even after they lost Clayton Kershaw in June. Uh, at the end of June, folks were writing them off, and I was admittedly a little skeptical about their chances going forward. But 
Uh, the offense started to pick it up, and some guys in the rotation picked it up, and they've had a lot of help from rookies this season. And now uh, Kershaw's back healthy. They acquired Rich Hill. Um, the bullpen is is still going strong in the offense. It's still a little inconsistent, and it's really not great against left-handed pitching, but they're doing enough right now. And every year you hear that team about that team nobody wants to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if things go break well with the Dodgers, I think they might be that team this year. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, Dave Roberts, because I mean, he's definitely my manager of the year. I think he'll win it going away, but um, how is he, uh, or, or what about him, uh, was able to kind of keep the team together during some difficult injury stuff, and also uh, you had some difficult things with Puig uh, being sent down, and uh, just how did he keep the team together? Well, he, he wasn't brought in to be the tactician uh, that some managers um, have been in the past. He was more, his, his primary goal, my suspicion is, to keep that clubhouse uh, uh, tight knit and, and good, and uh, you know, keep keep it light at mm-hmm. times. And you know, that's not, not something. It's not a knock against uh, Don Mattingly. That's just not something he was particularly great at. Because you heard over the last three or four years about a ton of stories coming out uh, of, of the clubhouse about clubhouse chemistry and issues and, and the like. You know, some Saber folks don't really buy into the chemistry thing i do a little bit um it's not the be all end all but it definitely matters and you you just tell there's a different feeling with this team in terms of the chemistry in the clubhouse and um on the field he's actually improving i think he he had some struggles early on um some he hasn't bunted a whole lot called for bunts a whole lot but uh he still does every once in a while the bullpen management was a little shaky but it's also extenuating circumstances because it's been a team that has had so many players come through that it's, it's been hard for him to completely manage it all. But I think he's getting better as the season goes on. Um, he's not going to be the best tactician this year. He may not ever be, but he's a bright guy. and I, I think he's doing really well. And I, I would be surprised if he doesn't win manager of the year. And another uh, Dodgers award winner most likely is uh, Corey Seager. Uh, how much fun is it to watch him? He's he's like one of my top five uh, favorite players in baseball. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I I think everybody had a pretty good idea that that this kid would be good. I I doubt anybody really thought he'd be a seven win player in his first full major league season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been the team's MVP. He has been the most consistent hitter for the duration of the season. He's one of their best hitters against left-handed pitching and he's a lefty and 22 years old uh you know i don't know if that says more about him or or more about the lack of uh hitting against lefties the dodgers have but (laughs) he's a he's an amazing player right now he's only 22 and i i don't know if if he's going to get better i mean he can but for him to get better he'd be He'd be pushing toward trout territory if mm-hmm. he ended up getting better. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to throw that on somebody. You know, if, if his, the expectations for him next season are going to be in, insane, but um, you know, he he has been the glue of the team this season. And yeah, his, his defense at short is not great, but for the offense he provides, and with the shifting and the other data they use to kind of position him, uh, he's plenty passable at shortstop. 
Yeah, and and finally, yet another, I think, um, deserving award winner is Clayton Kershaw. I think deserves the NL Cy Young. Probably won't win it because of, um, I don't know, just stupid journalists. But uh, (laughs) he's been dominant this year. Don't need to talk a ton about the season, but going into the playoffs, he has struggled in the playoffs. Uh, Do you feel pretty confident that, that he'll be able to pitch well against the Nationals? Uh, yeah, I do. Real quick, just about the the sign. I actually wrote about that at Dodgers Digest yesterday, and th- there is some precedent for a guy with as few innings as he's going to end up with. He'll probably end up with close to 150 uh, to to win the Cy Young. Rick, Suc- Rick Sutcliffe won it in 1984. Um, granted, you know that was 30 plus years ago uh, with 150 innings, but he was traded from the uh, from Cleveland midseason. So. Um, but as far as the playoffs, I mean, I think he kind of exercised those demons last season when he pitched uh, game four against the Mets in New York and, and threw seven great innings. Um, it, it's really been the Cardinals <laughs> that have gotten to him in the playoffs. As far as the Nationals, I mean, not the Nationals have a really strong lineup, um, especially Daniel Murphy, the guy who almost single-handedly took down the Dodgers last season in the playoffs, uh, is is healthy and playing, and Bryce Harper's thumbs all right. Um, Wilson Ramos was a big loss, I think, for the Nets, mm-hmm. um, especially with his right-handed, you know, hitting from the right side against a, a couple of lefties like Kershaw and Hill. But I, I do think, I mean, it's it's not a secret that Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball. Um, he looks to be trending toward being about as close to 100% as you could be. But I think uh, Kershaw should fare re- relatively well against Washington. Yeah, that matchup will be fun, the the Kershaw and then Hill versus uh, Murphy and, and Harper. Uh, speaking about the Nationals, uh, are Dodger fans um, just kind of ready for the playoffs to begin, uh, still mourning Vince Scully's last year, or what's kind of the, the attitude of, of Dodger fans going into the playoffs? Yeah, I I'll touch on the first part first. Um, if if the games this week have been any indication, they, they dropped two in San Diego. They dropped one last night uh, against San Francisco. And I, I, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone when I say this. I don't particularly care that they lost those games. Um, I'm really ready for the playoffs to begin. Ever since it looked like they were going to pull away with the division and win it for the fourth year in a row, you know, you get to that point where it's okay. Let's just let's just get to October already. Um, but then, like you said, at the same time, Sunday, uh, October second, Vince Scully's last day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to broadcast in the playoffs, barring anything unforeseen. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really is. It's a sad, sad time for Dodger fans uh, who have grown up with this guy for. I mean, he's been there for sixty-seven years. I'm sure there are folks who have. I hope there are folks who have listened to him for all 67 years, but uh, <laughs> that that might be a little uh, too presumptuous. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's sad, but it's also, I mean, he's 88, going on 89 years old. It, he has, you know, he's done everything he could possibly do mm-hmm. in this field for this game for this team. Uh, it's time to let him have a little time for himself because he might be the most humble person on the face of this planet. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed watching him down the stretch here, uh, and yeah, I, I agree. He's he's pushing ninety. You know, let the man spend time with his family, and um, yeah, I hope hope that his uh, last people, couple games many, are good. How many, how many people do you think are in that great of shape at, at age eighty eight, eighty nine? Oh man, I mean, to be able to call nine innings of baseball game 
for I don't know at least half the games uh, of a season. I mean that that's in, that's insane. Well, then I mean his final Dodger Stadium moment is him uh, playing him singing "Wind Beneath My Wings." <laughs> so it's like this ninety year old just dropping you know like dropping the track on on all yeah. the fans as he as he sets off. He's definitely uh, definitely in a class by himself. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, I've asked the same questions to each guest. Uh, the first one is, uh, if the Dodgers win the World Series, uh, what is the main reason why? Easy to say the the starting rotation. Easy to say the bullpen. I'm going to say the offense. The offense produces well enough against quality pitching to, to win it. And then the, the reverse of that, if they don't uh, win the World Series, what's kind of the main <laughs> thing that holds them up? Uh, they get shut down on offense, and maybe, maybe one of the starters doesn't perform as well as expected, and even maybe uh, the bullpen kind of has a really bad game. Yeah, it, the the rotation it will be Kershaw, Rich Hill, and then Maeda. Is that yeah, yeah? And then any idea who the, the game four starter would be if it it's needed? It depends. My guess would be. Uh, if they're down two to one, it's Kershaw. If they're up two to one, it still might be Kershaw, but I wouldn't, you know, put money I care about on it. Um, hmm. At this rate, it might be a guy like Julio Urias, hmm. um, and it may not be your traditional, you know, go five, six, seven innings start. He might go out there for three or four innings, and then they bring in another guy to go two or three innings, and then they get into the short relievers. Yeah, Dodgers have so many intriguing players, and uh, I mean, even if they don't um, win it this year, they're they're set up very well for the for the future. Yeah, and that's been the main goal of of Andrew Friedman, Farhan Zaidi, uh, and even Stan Kasten when he took over uh, in 2012 before he hired these other two guys um, to to be you know in contention every year because you can't win the World Series. If you're not in the playoffs, I don't know, it's breaking news. Um, <laughs> and you, they want to set themselves up to have the best opportunity to be in the playoffs. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Dustin. Appreciate uh, your time and um, look forward to reading you throughout the playoffs. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Our next guest on the podcast is Mike Malaragno. Mike is the co-founder of Burning River Baseball, and he's here to help us break down the Cleveland Indians. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. It's good to be on the show. And I might clarify, co-founder and better-looking half of <laughs> baseball. I saw that your Twitter profile said that. I guess I omitted that, but that's uh, <laughs> okay. Glad you added that back in. Um, so, Mike, uh, you know, after a somewhat slow start to 2016, uh, the Indians kind of caught fire in June and never really looked back. They uh, had a fairly comfortable lead throughout the the second half. Uh, I think the Royals got within two games or so, but um, for all intents and purposes, uh, a fairly comfortable lead. What would you say were the keys to the Indian success this season? Well, for the first half of the season, it was certainly the pitching staff, the starting rotation. Um, of course, you had, for most of the season, you had Kluber, Salazar, and Carrasco um, as a really good three-headed monster. And it's a good thing they built up such a strong lead, especially in June, um, because they suffered so many injuries in August and September um, to both Carlos Carrasco, Danny Salazar, their starting catcher, Jan Gomes. Of course, Michael Brantley um, has been out all year. So they built up a nice little cushion in June and part of July, and that was very important. So if I had to lock down one 
key to the successful season, it would have been that huge winning streak that they went on in June that built up that cushion that allowed them to really meddle around the second half of the year and sort of find themselves and deal with the injuries and try to figure out, okay, how can we set up the, the postseason roster and rotation dealing with the injuries? Because without that winning streak and without building up that cushion in the central, um, they wouldn't be in the position right now to A, make the postseason, in my opinion, and B, able to set up their starting uh, rotation for the American League Division Series. So that was very important. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned those injuries. I think heading into this year, we all kind of thought that um, the Indian strength was their rotation. I, I heard a lot of comparisons preseason of the uh, of the Mets and Indians, just in terms of a really, really strong, deep rotation, but somewhat limited offenses. And, you know, six months uh, or advanced six months and, you know, uh, injuries have really taken their toll. So I guess heading into the, the playoffs, how would you kind of assess the rotation? Um, how's it looking? And would you still rate that as a strength? Unfortunately, no, I would not. Um, if the Indians are going to make noise in October, which I still think they can, they're going to have to rely heavily on their bullpen. And they're, I mean, those guys in that bullpen, they're going to have a workload that they really haven't had in a long time. And it's a good thing that, you know, you have days off in the playoffs because they're going to be worked. Um, Corey Kluber recently went down with a slight quad pull, um, sort of top of his quad, um, side of his groin type of thing on his push-off leg, his right leg. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. We're not sure exactly how it's going to pan out because the weather is going to get colder. That quad is going to tighten up. So Terry is going to have to rely on that bullpen earlier in games. So that's going to be very interesting uh, heading into the ALDS. So moving forward, if they're going to make noise, if they're going to go to the World Series and do something crazy and win the World Series, then they're going to have to rely on that bullpen. So picking up somebody like Andrew Miller as they did at the trade deadline, uh, that was so vitally important because without Andrew Miller, I don't think anybody would be giving this, this team much of a chance. Yeah, and I know early on um, in, in terms of Miller's tenure with the, the Indians, uh, Francona was using him, uh, you know, earlier in the game. Um, mm -hmm. Is that still the case, or is he he kind of uh, moved him back to the eighth, ninth role? Well, the good thing about Andrew is he's he's shown well, of course, with New York, but now with the Indians, he's shown all Indians fans, including myself, that he can throw multiple innings. I mean, mm -hmm. he can give you he can record seven outs. I think if 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 you need him to, um, which means he can come in in the in the sixth in a tight spot and work the next two innings. I mean, he's proven he can do that. Mm -hmm. Because don't forget, he was brought up as a starter, so his right. arm is lengthened. And that's the beauty of, of Andrew Miller. Or if you want to, you can use him in the ninth. If Cody Allen, our current closer, is struggling, you can use Andrew Miller in the ninth. So that flexibility is something that Terry Francona loves. I mean, if you're any much of a, you know, if anybody out there listening is a huge baseball fan like we are, they know that Terry loves using his bullpen and he's going to be using them a lot including andrew miller <laughs> yeah yeah especially um you know the the red sox i would say their one weakness is their bullpen so it'll be interesting right. to see um there might be some um leads given up in the in the later innings in that series yes i agree i agree it's going to be a very interesting series um because don't forget the red sox are dealing with some injuries themselves um you know it's Looks like, well, it's, it's official now. Stephen Wright's not going to be available for the LDS. Um, Drew Pomeranz uh, is not going to be available for the LDS. So those are two starters that 
um, they were probably going to rely on that aren't going to be a part of that uh, that division series roster as well. So their rotation is thinned. So it's going to come down to, in my opinion, who comes up best in the clutch, and that's going to be later in the innings. And with that advantage, I give to Cleveland. <clears throat> so is that an uh, official prediction? You think the, the Indians take the series? <laughs> oh my gosh! In a five-game series, I don't think anybody—I don't think even Jesus could predict <laughs> who would win a five-game series because so many things can happen. We shall find out. Uh, I, I think home field advantage is going to play a vital role, and it's going to come down to, uh, depending on whether you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, tomorrow or whatnot. It's going to come down to Sunday night, possibly even Monday, to determine who gets home field. Right now, Cleveland's in the driver's seat, and. In a game five situation, having that that game at home would mean so much more to the Indians than to the Red Sox, in my opinion, because the Indians have some some pitchers like Josh Tomlin, Trevor Bauer that can give up the long ball, and we both know that balls jump out of Fenway Park, especially mm-hmm. with that short porch and left. So I'd much rather have that game five in Cleveland. Yeah. Well, uh, to wrap up here, I've got two sentences that I kind of want you to fill in the blank. Uh, first question, if the Indians go on to win the World Series, it will be because of blank. It'll be because of, man, I was never good at Wheel of Fortune. Um, <laughs> it'll be because of Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller not giving up any runs. Andrew Miller coming in and working multiple innings like we had discussed. All right. And if the Indians fall short of the World Series, um, or if they lose the World Series, it will be because of blank. It'll be because they put they decided to put Michael Martinez on the twenty five man roster just to pinch <laughs> run. No, that's not my answer. That's just a joke. Um, it'll be because the offense goes stale. There's there's been some multiple times during this season where the offense has just gone completely flat for whatever reason. Nobody can really explain it. Um, they've scored their runs in bunches. And if it wasn't for their great starting pitching earlier on in the season, um, this team would have been in some trouble late. But to answer your question, it's because the offense goes stale. Um, so we shall see. Well, Mike, we appreciate your time, and uh, we will be watching the Indians. Thanks so much. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Have me on again. Our next guest on the podcast is Ryan Davis. Uh, he is a writer for BP Wrigleyville on today's Knuckleball, and he is here to talk about the Cubs. Ryan, welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at RyanDavisBP. Well, Ryan, uh, it's been quite the year for the Cubs, quite the regular season for the Cubs. For someone that's followed it so closely, what has been your favorite part of, of the 2016 Cubs? Oh. Uh-huh. I guess there really isn't one thing you can pick, right? Uh, it's just been how fun it's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just been a joy to watch the games. Sometimes, uh, especially in recent years for the Cubs, when you're watching on a daily basis and having to write about the team, it's it's not as much fun when you're 30 games below 500 and, and talk, trying to convince fans to buy into what Theo Epstein's doing and, you know, oh, just wait, Mike Olt will be coming up soon. Um <laughs> That's uh, those days are gone. Ian Stewart, Ian years. Stewart rebound, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's much better uh, being able to watch the team and and enjoy writing about it rather than just uh, you know watching prospects at Double A hoping they're coming up soon. 
what's kind of your um, timeline with the with writing about the Cubs? Have you been doing it for several years now, or when did you hop on? Um, well, I guess I started in 2014. Okay. Um, uh, early 2014, I started writing for uh, Cubs Insider, which was on ChicagoNow.com mm-hmm. at that time. And then it moved to its own format, and then uh, I got hired at Today's Knuckleball, which is part of the uh, FanRag Sports Network. And uh, from there, I got on a baseball prospectus with BP Wrigleyville and uh, a variety of places after that. So uh, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of places. My work's been in the Chicago Tribune online. It's been on MLB.com. So, uh, yeah, in the last couple of years, have been really great for me. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I really like... Uh... BP Wrigleyville, I think it's a great, great site. So fans, uh, check that out. Uh, looking at the playoff roster and a couple questions I had. Um, so you've got Lester, Hendricks, Arietta. Probably will start in that order. Um, I guess you know, speak into that, but then also speak to um, what kind of concerns you about each of those guys as they begin the playoffs. Um. Well, as far as uh, if you wanted to say. Concerned. I don't have a ton about Lester just because of his playoff experience. We know what he can do. I would say if you're going to, you know, try and find the most concerning thing about Hendricks, it's that he's, this Vegas is, I guess, his second time pitching in the postseason. He didn't have a, a ton of success last year. Um, there are various reasons for that, but um, you, you haven't had to really rely on him uh, as, you know, as, as I think they're going to this year. Uh, Arietta, the concern, I guess, for me would be his, his control issues that he's dealt with in the second half of the season. Uh, when his control is on, he's been pretty good. And when his control has been off, he's been bad. And, uh, that, that is a bit concerning. And also the fact that he's going to have 11 days of rest, uh, in between his last, uh, start against live hitters and his first playoff start. And I'm, I'm very curious how that will translate with his control. But overall, um, I mean, they've had the best rotation in baseball. They've got the best defense behind them, and they have uh, the second-best offense in the National League. So uh, it's hard to really say anything is specifically concerning. Of course, that will not stop Cubs uh, Twitter from freaking out after each uh, meaningless loss in September. Uh, (laughs) That leads into my my next question, talking about the defense. Uh, As I've kind of looked at – you know how you might construct a lineup against certain pitchers that they, uh, the Cubs might face. Uh, would you just stick by as a third, you know, against any pitcher, or do you think Coglin and uh, Solaire will get a start um, against you know like a, a good lefty or a good righty? Um, I think there's a lot that goes into Joe Madden's decisions on that, and it goes beyond just how he thinks they might hit those pitchers. Um, <clears throat> like for example. Uh, if Lester's on the mound, I almost guarantee you Baez will be at third. And that's mm-hmm. because uh, you might see balls pulled to third base. And Joe Madden said before, when people ask him, you know, what determines where you play Baez on a given day, he said, I put him where I think the most balls will be hit. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's really telling about, you know, when he's, at, I think he starts at second base a lot with Arietta. He starts at third base a lot with John Lester. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say, um, that will be a lot of the factors. I, I think the Cubs have really found a lot of success this year in run prevention, and you can see that a lot in the difference between the ERA of the of the entire staff and then the the fifth, the fielding mm-hmm. independent pitching. 
Yeah. Uh, there's a big gap there. So I think they, they found a lot of their success with lung prevention. I think that's probably how the leading factor in how they will do it going forward. And uh, the opposite side of that is they don't have a lot of guys who have drastic splits between lefties and righties. You know, Solaire can hit both, Baez can hit both. You know, some of these guys might be a little better against one or the other, but I think, um, you know, you are throwing out guys who, you know, oh, he hits, you know, he has a 500 OPS against lefties, but a 900 OPS against righties. You don't have any of those guys. So mm-hmm. I don't see, I don't see matchups, uh, offensively playing a huge factor. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, someone that struggled a bit, um, especially against lefties, uh, Jason Hayward, you know, Obviously, didn't have the year that he was hoping for, that Cubs fans were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Madden seems to be, you know, pretty set with hitting him sixth. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. that uh, that will work work in the playoffs, or do you think uh, we'll, you know, continue to see him come up in big spots and and you know ground out to second or or pop out or? <laughs> I don't know if he's going to hit him sixth or seventh. Um, he dropped him as well as seventh for quite a while this year, and then he's, you know, gradually moved him up in spots lately. Um, I want to say over his last 12 games, he has uh, an on base percentage of 380. Hmm. Uh, so it's been better lately. And, and in general, he's actually looked better. There have been stretches this year where, um, you know, the ball scoots past the second baseman and he's been getting more hits, but it doesn't look right. Um, lately, it's, there have been times where it looks better. He's been getting the ball in the air more. Um, I'm not saying Jason Hayward's fixed, but um, yeah, I think that seventh, maybe sixth, I, I think it'll probably be fine. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, they have enough balance in the lineup. They have enough offensive fitters. And having that glove in the lineup, I mean, it just, you, you can't say enough about it, really. It's, uh, it, it's made Dexter Fowler a better center fielder. It's made whoever, whoever is in left field a better left fielder. I mean, ha, ha, have you really seen all the many issues this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, that's when you had Soler and, uh, Schorber in the, in the outfield, it was a little bit different. This year, whoever's been in left field has had, you know, pretty much every play. So, I think that's a really big factor of how much range Jason Hayward covers with his glove. I agree. I think I, I saw Ken Rosenthal uh, doing a Cubs game maybe a week or so ago saying that he thought they would sit Hayward against lefties. And I thought that was just mm-hmm. preposterous because you know, Madden doesn't really ever do that now. And if you sit him, it's like you got to play t- you know, two other guys. you got to play Coughlin and so, like you got to play worse outfielders. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. yeah. The only way that. I think you could get away with it, and and I would I would be on board with it if it was a really tough lefty. If you're facing Clayton Kershaw, uh, if they put like Zobrist in right field and Bryant in left and Baez at third, I think you can get away with it that way. But then, you know, who are you putting at second base? Exactly. Is it Tommy Lastella? Yeah. Is he even on the roster at this point? So uh, I don't I don't see. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't really see uh, a way you can do it without downgrading it at a different spot. All right, so I'm asking each uh, each guest on on this podcast the same two questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, if the Cubs win the World Series, uh, what is the main reason why? What's kind of the narrative behind why they why they did it? Uh, the I guess the things we already talked about. They have the best starting pitching in baseball. They have the best defense, and they have one of the best offenses. I would say everybody performed their role, 
and did what they've done all year, and that's just go out and obliterate teams. Yeah, I think to have the best pitching, defense, and hitting, that's a pretty good recipe for uh, yeah for baseball <laughs> I mean, success. Yeah, what else? What else can you do? And they, you know, at the back end of your bullpen, you've got some pretty great guys too. Yeah, and you know, one of the best managers in, in baseball. Yeah. Uh, the second question: If the Cubs fail to uh, to win the World Series, or even if they uh, if they were to lose the division series, which is definitely a possibility, uh, what is uh, what's kind of the narrative behind that? Uh, the the actual truth behind it will be that they had essentially like a bad sequencing mm-hmm. is my opinion they'll have you know a, a starter just get hit on a day that they can't hit um you know that kind of thing will happen i mean it, it's a short series uh if you lose three games you're done we've seen them lose three games in, in a bad stretch this year it doesn't mean that they aren't a good team it doesn't mean that they're flawed it just means that that happens sometimes every team will go through a stretch where they lose a few games and that's just how it happens sometimes. Uh, there's nothing special or magical about the playoffs other than the, the fact that they're the playoffs. And if they lose, it'll be because they went through one of those stretches. Yeah, and especially, you know, if the Giants make it, you've got Baumgartner and Cueto in a, right. in a short series. They, I mean, they could just pitch the games of their lives and the Cubs yeah. can't do much if about you've it. Gotta face those, if you've got to face those guys, I'm guessing three out of five games in a, in a series like that. You could lose three out of five games, and it could just happen. Definitely. Well, we were just talking before the podcast. You're from Springfield. We live in Champaign. I'm also a, a huge Cubs yep. fan. Uh, will you be making the trip up uh, for any uh, any postseason games to Wrigley? Um, I, I think so. Um, I, I think I'm going to be up there covering something in some fashion, whether it be um, – you know, interviewing fans outside the stadium, or if I get into the stadium, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of that remains to be seen, but I'll I'll probably be up there at some point for something. That's awesome. Well, I'll make sure to to check out your work and uh, yeah, listeners go follow him, Ryan Davis BP on Twitter, and check out his work. Um, Ryan, uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, best luck to the Cubs. All right, thank you very much, Peter. It was good to be on. Our final guest on the playoff preview is Chris McShane. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris McShane and read his work at AmazingAvenue.com. He's here to talk about the Mets. Chris, welcome to our podcast. Oh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, you're the you're the only holdover from last year's uh, preview, so congratulations. <laughs> well, you're you're actually reporting live from uh, the Mets uh, Phillies. Are you there to to take in a uh, a wild card securing win? Yeah, hopefully. I, I think so. I mean, you never know what will happen in any given game, but I'm optimistic. Uh, the way things played out with the standings, I woke up this morning, decided to come down. It's not too far from New York. So, uh, yeah, I'm here. Hopefully by the time people are hearing this, the Mets will have punched. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Definitely. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. Uh it's been a, a weird season for the Mets. Um, you know, of course, any baseball season, there's lots of different storylines, uh, but especially with in terms of Terry Collins and just the fans and media media's perception of him, uh, just a roller coaster for sure. So, what what's your feelings right now heading into the playoffs? Is it a successful season if they make the playoffs? Yeah, I would say it is. You know, I mean, you could probably argue in most cases that. 
any year a team makes the playoffs is a successful season. Um, you know, coming off of last season, obviously expectations were high, but, you know, going into play here on Saturday, they have the chance to finish the season with 88 wins, which is uh, right about where, you know, maybe some of the preseason projections or over-unders or, or whatever uh, had them. And that was before all the injuries and everything. So, you know, it's pretty remarkable that the guys who have filled in have been good enough to get them to this point. Um, I think overall the playoffs is kind of house money from a Mets perspective, mm-hmm. where, you know, if they can make a run with this roster as it currently stands, that would be a really fun, amazing thing to do. Um, I certainly don't want them to lose. I want to keep dreaming about a World Series until it's not, you know, not possible anymore or until they win it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'd say Terry Collins has certainly made some questionable choices over the course of the season. But somehow, you know, the, the team is still here. So, Yeah, that's pretty incredible when you think about all the injuries they've suffered, especially on the um, starting rotation. So Steven Matz is down, uh, DeGrom is down, uh, Matt Harvey uh, went down earlier in the season. Uh, so pretty much you just have Syndergaard and Cologne left right now from the what you thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, do you think those two guys can uh, pitch well enough for the Mets to make a run in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Syndergaard had the one hiccup with the bad start recently, um, but bounced back very nicely from it in his start after that um and then he's yeah he's just been one of the best pitchers in the game this year so i've got full confidence in him uh bartolo is great it, it would have been nice if he didn't have that bad start his last time out hopefully today what he does in philadelphia is a little bit better a little more encouraging but he's really been very good all year long uh those blow-up starts have been few and far between so you know i know people are concerned about what he'll do against the cubs but, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if 43-year-old Bartolo Colon can find success in, in this postseason. Uh, and then, you know, the two other guys, as fireworks or firecrackers we've lost here, uh, <laughs> some, uh, the two other guys who stepped into the rotation consistently, Gazelman and Lugo, uh, you know, they, they've looked good enough that I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not really on the level where I would say, I have Harvey DeGrom, Matt's confidence in them, but I'm not scared of what they might do in, in the playoff scenario. You know, I think it's entirely possible that they can at least give them a chance to win. Uh, I'm a little higher on Gazelman personally. I think he's the kind of guy who I, I might think could go out and throw a six or seven innings, give up, you know, no runs or one run. But, but yeah, it's certainly not the pitching staff we expected to see, but it's enough. I think, to at least keep them competitive, which, you know, is, is pretty much all you can ask for when you have that much of your rotation go down for the, uh, the entire season. I feel like that's an underrated and kind of national storyline. Lugo and Gazelman, they've been really good down the stretch. Both of them are approaching two war seasons. So I, I think the Mets are kind of a sleeper team going into the playoffs because of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure nobody's going to think the Mets are winning any series. Uh, how far they go, but the playoffs are funny, you know. It's it, as good as the Cubs if the Mets can get through the wild card game and face them. As good as the Cubs are on paper, you, you just you never know. And I think there's enough talent there where it's not, you know, if Rafael Montero had 
forced into a playoff rotation spot to be worried. Um, but he but he hasn't been, so I'm not quite there. <laughs> besides uh, besides Cespedes, who offensively will be kind of the key guys to, to watch? Uh, I mean, Jay Briss has finally come to life, so I think he could be that guy. But my guy is Duda. I mean, he looks very good. He hasn't played every game since he came back. But, you know, the lineup with Duda in it, one through seven, looks pretty good. Uh, and he's, he's the kind of guy, as a power hitter, a guy who can get on base. But, you know, the two things that he's done very well healthy over the last two, uh, two plus seasons. Um, to me, that's a big upgrade. You know, despite everybody who's been missing, he's a guy who came back surprisingly, and I think he can change some games. It's looking pretty likely that the the Mets will host the one game wild card. I guess they could slip up these last couple games, but uh, if they do host it, um, do you expect that to be a, a pretty great playoff at- atmosphere for that one game? Yeah, I think so. I think there's been a lot of worrying, and you know, the in general over the course of the season, um, and I think. The crowds haven't been as, you know, as large in September as they were last year when the Mets were taking and running away with the division. But they have been passionate. I have no doubt that it'll be uh, completely full, uh, assuming they host, full of people who are who are really into it. You know, I'm, I'm curious about that a little bit myself. Like how, you know, how much does it matter that we had the deep playoff run last year as Mets fans, and you know, how does that affect how excited people are for this year? But I think. Once it sets in that, hey, there's a playoff game mm-hmm. at City Field tonight, I expect the place will be pretty electric. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that. Uh, I can't uh, can't have you on the podcast and not ask about uh, Tim Tebow. So what's, as a Mets fan, are you annoyed by that? <laughs> or are you, like, intrigued? Is it sick of hearing about it? What What's kind of your attitude towards no, it? No, no, I'm, I'm not sick of it, which is funny because I got very sick of every Tebow story in football. But <laughs> they picked him up. I'm, I'm, hey, good luck to him. I don't think it'll work out. But, you know, even though it was a large bonus for minor league signing standards, it's to a major league team, it's not any money, really. So, you know, roll the dice. It's probably not going to work out. Uh, it, it'll be fun. I, it could get annoying if at some point, People are looking at, you know, say he succeeds and he's doing well in double A and people are like, oh, they should come up to the big league roster. That might be a point when it could get a little annoying. But right now where he's just in the instructional league and, you know, just trying to figure out if he can play baseball, it's pretty innocuous to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I hope he defies the odds and turns into a great asset for the team. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sick of it. Maybe in a year I will be, but we'll see. <laughs> I feel like it was just classic Tebow that his first uh, his first at bat he hits a home run. Like I think he went yeah. one for six yeah. one for six in the game. But the only thing people talk about is the home run, and it's like, oh well, classic classic <laughs> Tebow controlling all the the headlines. Oh yeah, of course. All right, well, uh, end the the podcast with uh, two questions that I've asked everyone. First one is if the Mets uh, do make a run, win the World Series. Uh, what will people point to as the reasons why? Uh, I will go to none of the answers I said so far. The back of the bullpen, Addison Reed, Jerry Familia, uh, they've been outstanding for the Mets all year, and I think those two will need to play well and are fully capable of it. So I'll say it's the back of the bullpen. 
And then the opposite of that, what's what will prevent them from, from making a run? The Cubs probably present the most challenging potential opponent anywhere until maybe, uh, you know, if they're in a World Series. Um, and that's not really an insult to the other teams. It's just sort of the, the way they line up and the fact that they are down the hard-throwing aces. Uh, so I'll say if there is a downfall, it'll be the Cubs' power hitters. Um, but I hope that's not the case. Great. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, hope you have fun at the game. Uh, are you there with family, friends? I'm here with a friend, uh, and I kind of feel like this is a game where you might run into Met fans that you didn't realize were coming who, uh, who made the trip, too. That's awesome. Yeah, well, hope they clinch today, and uh, thanks for joining us. No, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks again for having me, and uh, hopefully we can do this again in a year. <laughs> yep, three years in a row. All right, uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you later, Chris. All right, take care. Well, if you made it through all two hours, uh, <laughs> thank you so much um, to the dozens of you that, that made it this far. Much appreciated. Yeah, hope you learned something along the way, and you're more equipped to, uh, to watch the playoffs now. Yes. Uh, again, just a thank you to all the all the ten riders that we talked to. Uh, would not be possible without them. Yeah. Any anyone else you'd like to thank, Paul? Uh, my wife for allowing me to spend uh, a couple of hours away from the house. Yes, I would like to thank uh, my parents. Uh, for any reason? Uh, just in general. Nice. You think they're still listening? Uh, they were the wind beneath my wings through, throughout the process. Mama, when I texted her, mom was pretty confused by what we were doing. <laughs> um, so, mom, if you're listening, thanks for listening. Go play our fantasy game, uh, win $50. Go listen to our next episode, our playoff preview. Yeah, I think that's about all I got. You got anything to add, Paul? I do not. Uh, you know, as always, you're welcome to um, give us a review on iTunes, uh, give us your feedback via Twitter. At a foot in the box or via our email account, a foot in the box at gmail.com. Would really love to interact with you and hear your feedback about our podcast. And go follow all the writers on Twitter. Absolutely. They're all really great. And so uh, you'd be better for it on Twitter if you followed them. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of days. But until then, so keep a foot in the box. Hard.